Geek Shock. Geek Shock. But anyways, Barton Fink. Yeah, Barton Fink, not good. Not a good film. I enjoyed it, but I didn't understand it. Dude, I never go into a Coen Brothers movie looking for understanding. True. I just, I, I, you know, it's just, you just experience it, and you come out and hope that never happens to you. Mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, good. so good. You were doing The Little Fella. Nobody? It's Fargo. Yes, I got it. Uh, yeah, I don't you know the, the Cohen films that I liked. Uh, so I, I definitely liked Raising Arizona and Miller's Crossing. Mm-hmm. Barton Fink could definitely do without. Liked Hudsucker Proxy. Really liked Fargo. Liked Big Lebowski, but I think I didn't like it nearly as much as my peers at the time. I, I enjoyed the film, but everybody was just like I all about it. it at the time. I love it. I love that movie. Oh, brother, we're out there. Didn't like, or where art thou? Didn't like. Man who wasn't there. Didn't really like. Intolerable cruelty. Just felt so weird. I didn't really like that one. Uh, what about they, uh, what about Buster Scruggs? I haven't gotten that far yet. That was good. I liked that one. Uh, Lady Killers. I liked. No Country for Old Men. I liked. Burn After Reading. I liked. A Serious Man. Eh. True Grit was good. Gambit uh, was, well, it was written, but not directed by them. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think what else. Um, Blood Simple. Blood that. Simple is their very first one. Uh, yes. That's 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 a classic. So Yeah, that's I mean, that's... yeah it is. True Grit was was phenomenal. I actually yeah. like watching that up against the uh, the John Wayne uh, yeah. version. Oh, yeah. we gotta sync them. We gotta get them both on two TVs. And yeah, really. Start you could, at the same time. You could almost do that. You you, you can't quite though. But <laughs> I, I I don't know what you think, Kirsten, but I felt like their version of True Grit felt a little more realistic. I mean, it was obviously oh. a little bit darker, but it felt a lot more realistic. Oh hell yeah. to that to that time period. Hell yeah! Uh, for the, uh, for a modern western, they hit the whole you know the the unforgiven. Yeah. Let, let's let's get it. Let's get it realistic. And I mean, now, mind you, uh, Jeff Bridges was amazeballs. Yeah. Uh, but for me, what really made that movie was Haley Stanfeld. Yeah. Because that performance from a 14 year old was just oh, yeah. incomprehensible. Kim Darby was 19 when she did it. Wow. And uh, Haley Steinfeld was the core of that movie. She yes. she drove the movie, and yes. it was weird because as good as Bridges was, he was kind of a secondary character. You know, he was, yeah. I, I'd say he's more of a supporting actor, even though he could be considered the male lead in the film. But right, yeah, yeah. it was just so well done. There's one thing that unites all Coen Brothers films that I have seen that I ha- mm-hmm. that is that works the same way every single one that I've seen. I start off enjoying myself, and by the end, I'm more than ready for it to be over. (laughs) (laughs) Just like the show. That seems to be the whole Coen Brothers (laughs) experience for me. Wow. (laughs) They do sometimes drag on a little bit. You're absolutely right. They do excel in uncomfortable situations, I think. I think that, that I actually really love to laugh 
like be the only one laughing in in a Coen Brothers movie. Sometimes, like <laughs> I remember when I watched No Country for Old Men and the dog chases after him in the river, I just started cracking up. I just thought wow. that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen, <laughs> even though it's so scary. You're like, oh my god, this dog's coming after him, but it, but it's so quiet, and it's just this goofy dog coming after him, and I'm like, that's just so absurd. Like they have this ability to kind of do the absurdity of of I don't know of the situation that just it tickles me. So has anybody watched the uh, Big Lebowski sequel sort of thing, the, the uh, Jesus movie? I don't think I can. That seems sacrilegious. Sacrilegious. Yeah. I, I thought I, I think it's just Jesus. I think he's the only one in it. I don't know. I like sacrilegious. I think that's a good, a good. That could be the title of the episode. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> sacrilegious. You, are, you, sure. you are all sacrilegious. Welcome, <laughs> folks, to Geek Shock number five hundred and ninety-six. I am Master Torgo. Eighties Jeff. Commander K. Fact check, Andy. You almost screwed up there, didn't you? Nope. Maple Leaf Matt. And we have a special guest. That's right. <laughs> What's your name, sir? <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I can't we, we lost you there for a second. <laughs> I, 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 I'm talking to myself. Uh, yes, I'm Todd. I'm <laughs> the other Todd. <laughs> another Todd. Another. Hey, but AT, AT, another Todd. There you go. Like another Earth, another Todd. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, yes, I've invited my super ego to the show. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, this is a voice you have not heard yet, Monkeys, and I'm so glad he has finally become part of the show. Uh, he used to work at Star Trek The Experience. Todd, tell us about yeah. yourself. Okay. Well, um, I used to hang out with all of these wonderful people at Star Trek The Experience as a character of the Ferengi persuasion na- named Bleeg. And uh, I was uh, an OG there at Star Trek. I started it and then left to move into uh, the video game industry where I have been for about 13 years now um, in various different studios, incarnations, uh, all kinds of wacky stuff. And uh, now I'm working for the, for the evil corporation of Amazon making games for them. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, but yeah. But yeah, super big nerd, long long time listener and lover of the great Geek Shock fun monkey action. Are the Amazon you, games just where somebody grabs you by the legs and shakes all the money out of your pockets and all you eat? <laughs> well, no, I, I actually worked for an industry that was like that. That was in the uh, the mobile uh, games industry was was uh, like that yeah. about, about taking every little click and monetizing the shit out of it, and basically. I was making slot machines on uh, that that uh, enslaved grandmas. So <laughs> that's kind of yeah. That was that was what I used to do. So so I'm I, similar to uh, the the Black Widow. I'm now trying to uh, get the red out of my ledger and uh, and, that's and somehow make. That's a lot of red. I have a lot of red. <laughs> a lot yeah. of red. Red dead with that. Yeah. You don't have to answer this. True. But are you working on New World? Hmm. I am not. Don't have to answer this. Oh, okay. No, I, I actually, I actually can answer that very happily because I don't want to be on that because that's, <laughs> that's not so good. But uh, it, yeah, they Amazon Games has had some troubles, uh, but I am working on some oh, super yeah. secret, crazy thing that's outside of all that. So, uh, and it's it's, and I think it is for a force of good. So that's all I can say right now. But but 
Todd, does this mean sometime in the future Geek Shock will have some great scoop on Amazon <laughs> Games? <laughs> no, that's the other group. That's, that's he wants to keep his job, Kirsten. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about illicit. I'm talking about you know finagle it so so it happens here first. <laughs> Kirsten, don't you know it has to go to Latino News and Review first? That's right, or Vulture, Kotaku, maybe. I don't know. I O nine, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Gizmodo, the Mary Sue. Yeah. Yeah, bounding into comics. <laughs> we got we got this covered. Giant freaking robot. Uh, yeah, giant bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so, gentlemen, so, yeah. I first off, Shock Monkeys, thank you so much for allowing us the uh, time off last week. Had a bit of a family emergency last week, so uh, everything is fine. So, uh, just want to put you at ease for that. But we are back, and we're super happy to be back. Uh, so that. L- Brings I'm the not. question. Well, okay. The the usual players who are usually happy to be here are happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, Grumpy Smurf is over there from Canada. <laughs> the most unhappy Canadian I know. You shut your face, Jeff. Point proven. <laughs> don't you know? Don't you know? Half my upbringing was in Florida. Now you see oh. which side I take with me. Yeah, yeah that's right. That, that explains well, a lot. That and the fact, Jeff, that he's a Canadian who's been living in America for like 10 years or something. Yeah, I fit right in. I mean, look what happened to Justin Bieber, right? <laughs> this is yeah, our I'm a pilot project for the infiltration <laughs> program that the um, Canadian government has. So it's, uh, yeah. Now, this is very important, folks. 90% of all Canadians live within 10 miles of the U.S. border. They're planning something. <laughs> So that being said, gentlemen, what geeky things you do this week? I'll get the obvious out of the way. Matt, what did you do? I actually did some stuff. What? what? <laughs> yes. I, I, one thing. Actually, two things. Okay. Um, I'll start with the most obvious. I'm actually rewatching Babylon 5. Other Todd will talk about that later. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yay! And uh, second, are you? Are you yawning down there? Kirsten's yawning. Wow. What? Is somebody I making a video? Yawning. Somebody make a video reference? I, I don't know what you're... I said about. yawning. I didn't... Come on. Yawning? Yeah. No, the he, uh, yeah, the, yeah, he the asked, musician? Yeah, yeah, he asked if Kirsten was yawning. No, he is not. Uh, moving on. <laughs> and then I finished WandaVision. So you'll like oh. that. You'll like that. So your wow. thoughts? That was okay. Not like where Andy's like chomping at the bit. Ready to talk about oh, it. Like, oh, it was. Well, was. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're two series behind now. Yeah, I know. Do you start Loki or just do Falcon Winter Soldier? I don't know. Yeah, you start start Loki. It's. I think it's. I feel like it's more directly related to the things that we saw in WandaVision, uh, and Falcon and Winter Soldier is kind of separate from all that. Oh, it's still a good uh, series. It's just it's not. I, I don't feel like it's building up to more than just introducing, which it's no really spoiler that that uh, that the Falcon becomes the new Captain America. So I want to say something that's very spoilery. So go there. ahead, I don't care. Well, I know you that. don't care. The, the Thank you for care. telling us, Sandy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm really relieved because I was I'll like, does, does Andy have something spoilery to say? I just don't know. <laughs> 
I also am holding back things that I don't intend on talking about. <laughs> That's me. All right. Next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Todd, what, what have you done, Geek? Oh, well, I uh, have uh, recently watched Black Widow, which I will not spoil, uh, other than the spoiler I already said about the Ledger thing, but that's it. Everyone knows that. But I loved it. Um, I also watched A Quiet Place Part 2, which was really good. That was the way I escaped the hell heat that was baking the Northwest. Todd, Quiet Place 2. A lot of people saying better than uh, the first movie. What do you think? Ooh. Well, I will say it's a hell of a sequel, and it keeps it going, keeps the story going in a really good way. And I wanted more when the movie was done. It was like the fastest movie. Like, it just burned through it. Definitely yeah. not Coen Brothers, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no Coen Brothers there. Yeah, you're not going to Yes, and also Army of the Dead on Netflix. To, What's your thought uh, on that? Well, I always love seeing Vegas in a post-apocalyptic heap, but uh, oh, I've got to... It's right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it, that was no extras. They were just random people. Like, Let me film this. All right, cool. Zombie, done. All right. Yeah, that, that, That's um, the quality of tourists that we're getting in the city right now, yeah. <laughs> I know it, it felt very, uh, yeah, it felt like what I always wanted to do to tourists, you know, smash them into zombie pits while I worked there. So, um, I felt the same way about playing fallout new Vegas too. So like, I, I also love kind of that being in a post-apocalyptic Vegas, So, but I, I quite enjoyed it. I always don't want to enjoy Zack Snyder because I think he's a bit of a geek douchebag, but I ended up really liking this quite a bit. Uh, I've got strong Zack Snyder feelings, but that's that. We'll go. We'll go there another time. But I don't know. We could. <laughs> it could be but his yes, own show. I, it could be. I could. I get the whole Zack Snyder thing. Uh, but yes, no. I I enjoyed those three movies quite a bit, though. And um, geekily playing a bunch of different games. Uh, Final Fantasy VII remake being one of them. How do you feel really about that play. so far? Uh, I think it's quite interesting to play a redo of a game that I played 20 years ago. Um, and it's kind of an interesting feeling to kind of be in a world again that, that was blocky and, and at the time very amazing, but now even more amazing uh, due to current technology. And the storytelling is interesting. I don't love the piecemealing of a game into $60 chunks that are going to be pieced out over years and years and years for a story that I've already seen, but it is a retelling of it. So I'm enjoying the ride and uh, the combat. And even though I'm a turn-based strategy, turn-based kind of guy, uh, I like the action-y combat. It's quite fun. Can you get on your friends over there at Square Enix and tell them to hurry <laughs> up and make another Final Fantasy Tactics? Like, Ooh. I really want another Tactics. Oh, the last one I played, I... was it Game Boy Advanced? On the Clam, the Clam one. Yep. That was awesome. I love that one. Fantastic! I love I love the tactics games. I know those are, yeah. I'm 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 way more of a, a strategic uh, game player than I am a, a fast action player. So yes, I'm with you on that. That's it. Wunderbar, uh, Jeff. What'd you do this week? Uh, so I got to this week. I watched the Tomorrow War on Amazon Prime Video. 
as many of our fans know, I am a big geek when it comes to time travel movies, and uh, this is, of course, a, a time travel movie. It stars Chris Pratt, uh, J.K. Simmons, uh, Yvonne Strakowski, a bunch of other people you would recognize, but those are probably the three primary uh, stars that you're going to see in the film. The premise of the film is that there is an, some kind of an alien invasion 50 years in the future, and soldiers from the future came back to recruit people from the present to go fight this war in the future to try to help save humanity. And uh, it's a very interesting premise. Now, I won't say all of the science is sound in this film. I won't go that far. It's kind of a, if you switch your brain off a little bit, it's a fun little action film. Chris Pratt's really good in it. Von Strakowski's really good in it. And it goes without saying that J.K. Simmons is really good in it. Because, I mean, that guy's that guy could be good uh, reading a laundry list of ingredients off of a package of cereal or something. So it's a Paramount film uh, co-produced by Skydancer Entertainment. My understanding from what little bit I've been able to find out about the film is originally it was supposed to be a theatrical release and somehow Amazon picked it up and made its premiere on Prime Video. That's why it looks like a like a big production film because it actually is. They bought right. that movie for $200 million. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, they it was them basically yeah buying themselves a hollywood blockbuster exactly supposed to come out during covid time and no one Mm -hmm. wants to release a movie during covid time except for tenet apparently yeah right so is it free on amazon it's on prime video yes it's free it's part of the subscription wow and worthwhile uh i watched it as well i will say it doesn't make good on the promise of its premise I, i started off loving it more than i ended loving it Sure. Uh, it was a fun ride all the way through. About halfway through, though, it kind of gives in to Fast and Furious-itis, yeah. where mm. s- some of the uh, action choices are really amazing and crazy pants to watch, but you're like, that could never possibly ever happen. <laughs> and some of the decision-making, so. too. You're like, really? That's what you're going to go with? In fact, uh, uh, Screen Rant uh, does a really good pitch meeting on the film. <laughs> Uh, it's like, wait, why, if they could have done this, why did they do that? Because I need the movie to happen. Fair enough. And you know, that kind of stuff. So, but, uh, it was a fun movie. I was entertained with it. Um, it was, it was a good time. That's all I can really say. Had fun with it. it. You're right. It's turn your brain off because if you keep it on, you won't like, like it as it goes along. Uh, but it starts off amazing. I love the opening premise, the whole time aspect of going into a future war. Primo. And the staircase scene, one of the best uh, alien action scenes I've seen in a long time. Right. So it's it's worth the price of admission, which with Prime is zero, to just watch that stairway scene. I'm very excited about that. I thought I was going to have to wait for this to come out in the theaters. So. <laughs> and one that I was going to watch, uh, which I didn't get a chance to, but for you, Andy, also on Prime Video, uh, just launched. I started to watch an episode last night and I fell asleep. Because I was really exhausted after work. Ring but, an endorsement. Uh, Ring an endorsement. It it wasn't it wasn't the the it wasn't the show. It was me. I knew better than to try to start something because of how tired I was. And our Leverage Redemption just launched this weekend on IMDb TV as well as Amazon Prime Video. So, yep, I watched. Should be able to watch episode. it. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. So that's that's me for this week. Andy, what'd you do? Well, I watched. Uh, 
Leverage Redemption. They did a really good job of uh, bringing back the uh, bringing back the whole energy of the uh, show. Uh, and they didn't. I mean, this the original series ends really well, and they did a job of good job of restarting without ruining that. Although, uh, you know, they changed characters up a little bit, so yeah, not in the first one so much, but. Yeah, well, I mean, it's no big surprise. Uh, the main character is gone. Timothy Hutton, yeah, yeah uh, cho- Hutton. chose not to reprise his role. He chose, and also the the touching women or whatever he was doing chose. But yeah, no, they did a really good job. Um, it's it's weird. They had this crazy crossover thing. It must be the same producers or something. But the uh, the librarians. I mean, that's uh, they they replace him with uh, Noah Wiley. Is it from, yes. from librarians? Yeah. So he's he's in that role, sort of. But it's great. I enjoyed it. But because uh, I downloaded IMDb, I flopped, started flipping around there to see what else is there, and I found a show for you, Jeff. Time Wasters. Time Wasters? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's uh, it's not a lot. Of, it's not a hard. It's not a hard time travel thing. It's a uh, for it's a jazz band in London gets transported back into 1920s, and it's heavy on the comedy. It's four black guys in, in, in 1920s London, so you got that going on. But they immediately hook up with a, a, a rich white couple who are rich white brother and sister. They're like, oh, it's a jazz band. We've had to have the jazz band play at our party. Uh, uh, so so they're, they're, you don't have too much of the uh, of that. Uh, there's a little bit of, that, of the racial tension, but it's, it's pretty funny. It's not brilliant, but it's funny enough. Uh, but it's not... There's not a lot of, oh, we can't do this because we'll screw this up. They give them those rules in the beginning, and then they completely ignore them. And I watched the whole first season, and I just started the second one, which puts them into uh, 1958, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then uh, I caught up on a bunch of stuff you guys watch, a boss level, Willis Wonderland, uh, halfway through Titans. I agree with everything you said. Uh, But the dumbest thing I saw uh, was on Hulu. I only watched one episode, actually, with with our friend Jamie, uh, going, what the fuck am I watching? It's a show called Shark Lords. Shark Lords? (laughs) Yes. It sounds like Todd's seen it. (laughs) Maybe not. No, 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 that's the first I'm hearing of it. It is. Lords. It is, essentially. No, it's not even, it's it's like a a weird Paul premise. (laughs) Stretched out into a whole show. And again, I only watched the first episode. But it's all set up like, like you know, uh, extreme sports guys, and they've got this new thing they're going to do. And uh, they've got their, their, their weird, weird little crew out in the boat, and they're, we're going to shot, we're going to fuck a shark, because it's Australian. And, and that's the whole premise, is they're trying to fuck a shark. And they do in the first episode, so, uh, well. So where do they go from here? I don't know. <laughs> I assume they're going to keep, I, I, from, from how you're beating the fucking, fucking a shark thing to death, I assume it's going to be every episode. Well, I, yeah. I'm assuming there's, this there's, is animated. A lot of, no, it isn't. It's live action. Listen, you got to go Mako, Hammerhead. You got all these right, different no, I think that's what they do. I think they do go to Man different sharks. Of, it is a, astoundingly shark. dumb. It's so dumb. I couldn't even get through. I couldn't even. We barely made it through the first episode. And that was only that was only train wreck. You know, it was only, you know, craning your head at the car accident in their lane kind of thing. You're absolutely right. This sounds like Paul Chum. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean, I mean, any of Paul's premises would be a better idea for a show than this. What are you talking about? A bunch of Australian guys go out to try and fuck a shark every episode. That is Paul. <laughs> yep, through and through. Yeah, 
Fighting the werewolf's balls would be a much better uh, TV series. <laughs> would it, though? Would it? <laughs> and that's me. That's what I've done. Oh, it's all Black Widow, too. It, it's, it's Tiger Man of the Wo- Moon Swamp, except in the ocean, Australia. Right. Lustful Tiger Man of the Moon Swamp. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and just for spoiler alert on, on Shark Lords. Oh, they, please. They don't do it in the water. They bring them up on the deck for it. Oh, God. That's the thing. You don't want to use lube. You go in there dry. <laughs> so dumb. So very dumb. I, I'm really thinking way too much about shark fucking than I ever have in my life at the moment, and I don't like it. <laughs> Just think, Todd, of all those rows of teeth. <laughs> Is that where you go? Is that what you aim for? I, I know Jeff has, has a big piece, but I don't, can't think of a single shark that's that's small enough or it was a large enough for for jeff's member it's 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 all i'm thinking way too much about the, the whale shark. shark fucking the whale shark could take jeff okay okay that's that's yeah. true yeah how did i get dragged into this thing and, 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 <laughs> and that's exactly what jeff said right. and it's and it's very docile so it goes with that shh, just yeah. let me enjoy this yeah, yeah there you go yeah. <laughs> I got it. Not the whale shark. <laughs> season season two is Jeff hunting the seven oceans for the megalodon, the only thing big enough to take his. There you go. Oh boy! All of this is better than the show was. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's in honor of Shark Week too. That's like next week, yeah. right? Oh god! The Jeffalodon. <laughs> I would ask the obvious question of how does one fuck a shark, but I don't think I want the answer. No. Violently. I can just think of Roy, Roy Scheider just saying, open up and say, ah, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> Stumbles back in the cabin. We're going to need a bigger condom. <laughs> you know, I know this show can go anywhere, but shark coitus is not where I expect it to go at any point. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> okay, that's what Andy did. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yep, and he brought the the show to a screeching halt. Oh, yeah. Jesus! All right. Uh, well, what the what the hell did I do? Uh, well, first off, I just want to remind everybody that VlargCon is Friday the twenty third. So coming up quick if you're going to be in Vegas, and it, it is at the uh, Crown and Anchor here in Las Vegas. I believe from six till eight is exactly the timing. So uh, come if you like. Come if you really want to see Vlarg in action, uh, with, of course, questionable. So, But as to what I did, you know what? It's rare these days that with uh, Gamefly, I, I rarely put things on my queue that I haven't vetted anymore. Gone are the days of where I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to throw everything on there, and they'll send it to me. And if I don't like it, I'll send it back. But I did do one game, Sight Unseen, and I received it this week uh, because it came... Out of nowhere, I wasn't expecting it, and all of a sudden, the words Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance appeared. Uh, and I'm like, well, it's a Dungeons and Dragons game. I got to try it no matter what it is. It's blah. So I, I got it this week, and I tried it out, and I sent it back the same day. Yes. Wow. I didn't and, hear good about it. And, and not overall because it's a horrible game, but more on the fact that I've already played this game. It's called Warhammer's Shadows of Vermintide. It's a 
live service game where you start at a hub, you get uh, three other friends together, then you go out on a mission together. If you've played Avengers uh, on PlayStation 4 or Xbox One, uh, you've already played this game as well. Uh, Any any live service game you can probably mention that isn't the free-to-play ones, that's what this is. Overall, it's you. You gate. You go. You you choose what level you want to fight based on your uh, party power makeup, and then you go do a mission. It has a barely a story to hold it all together, and then you get loot, and then you it's loot that just barely adjusts your stats in some minuscule percentage way, uh, so that you have to go out and go get loot again over and over and over again to adjust minusculely over time. Uh, replaying the same missions over and over again to try to get better loot, or go on to the next mission, uh, which doesn't change much. And that's what really threw me off on this particular one. Uh, Vermintide seemed to change more uh mission to mission than this one did i really got the sense of doing the same thing over and over again so you go from point a to point b to destroy a few things along the way whether it's ballista or magic points or rescue points and then doing inane stuff like find the six dwarven mugs along the way and so it's it got boring fast for me it's did you did you try playing with others at all you no, I don't. Live. I don't play well with others with this stuff, uh, and I don't. And to do this, I would have to play with strangers, and that's what I really get turned off by. If if I knew someone else that played played it, I'd, I'd certainly attempt it. But I, I wasn't going to go fishing for it for something I already was losing fast interest in. If you play Shadows of Vermintide, I think that's a better game than this. Uh, but I'm not a big fan of it either. But I played it longer. Yeah, the only cool thing I guess I can say about Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance is that you're playing well-hewn Forgotten Realms characters. It takes place in Icewind Dale, uh, so I got to play Driz Durden. Uh, that was nice, but again, for what it was worth, it was you could have skinned it with anybody, frankly. Uh, and again, the story was a, a very generic uh, there is a powerful thing. Uh, lots of bad army guys are trying to get to it. You were trying to get to it first, so stop all the the orcs and the liches and the beholders from getting this power amulet. So it wasn't Driz Durden uh, with all the powers from the books and whatnot. It sort of cosplayed Driz Durden? Uh, it, I mean, it had some of the powers, but <laughs> frankly, it's it was more cosmetic than anything. Well, the worst um, part is... Is where uh, it turns out that Driz Durden is actually a figment of the imagination <laughs> that no no one else can see, and uh, the the whole when they make the orc soap, it was just uh, I I didn't like that either. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons was Club was an awful movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I thought when I'm going in, but that's uh, <laughs> it. Started fun, but by the end, I was ready for it to be over. Probably the worst Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's really weird that they based it on the Odyssey, but that's that's just me. So yeah, I uh, said it back quickly. So I, I did that. Um, also, 
it's been a while since I've recommended a book uh, because of the, my lack of reading over the last year, but it is coming back. It's it's nice. It's coming back. Uh, and I have a book to suggest for the first time in a long time, and that is a book of essays called I Find Your Lack of Faith Disturbing by A.D. Jameson. And it is a book on with essays on geek culture and a really good thought-provoking one at that. It's a celebration of geekdom at the same time of uh, breaking it down as to kind of why geeks uh, sever off into various camps. One of the things that he harks on in one of the essays is the need for authenticity. And that's where a lot of geeks break off. Uh, and he uses Batman as a prime example. It's why uh, some geeks don't like the uh, the old campy Batman of the 60s versus the uh, gritty Miller-style Batman of the 80s. If you're into geek culture and want a really entertaining but yet very thoughtful and well-thought-out dissertation on why geekdom is important to those that are into it this is a great book i find your lack of faith disturbing there's a big picture of darth vader on the front in a movie theater ad jameson is the name of the Mm. author so check it out uh kirsten what did you do this week you know i gotta start writing shit down because i always (laughs) blank as soon as we get to this and i can never remember what the fuck i I watched. <laughs> At least I did manage to watch. Um, I did see uh, Black Widow. I actually saw Black Widow this morning. I was like, if I'm going to do a movie uh, time, uh, make it in the morning. Uh, almost, you know, like just self socially distanced because the theater won't be all that full and stuff. And uh, I did that. It was really nice to have theater popcorn again, too. But. I saw Black Widow and, jeez, Louises. I, I seriously can't remember the other things I saw. Um, I haven't finished Loki yet. I still got to still gotta watch Loki. I want to back it up a little bit uh, because right. both, both you and Todd have watched Black Widow, but neither yeah. one of you has said much about it. it can That's you right. give me a non-spoiler feeling mm. uh, about this movie, what, what, you, what you really liked, what you didn't, without getting spoiler about it? It's a good spy movie with a little bit of superhero thrown in there. It feels very much like Winter Soldier, which is a good thing, in my opinion. I feel like it echoes a lot of what was great about that. Um, And it actually has a really good amount of character building between uh, her quote-unquote family within the the Red Room world, uh, the Russian spy stuff. So I think that the interactions between uh, Black Widow and, and Yelena, like, I think that that's what's really fun in the movie and really well done. And and there's a lot of fun poking fun of kind of the conventions of the Marvel world a little bit, which is always nice, too. So, so mm. I don't know. It, it had the heart, the action, the spy. It was a very well-rounded, fun movie, I thought. Kirsten, what's your... Uh, it's not one of the stronger Marvel movies. I did enjoy it. I like Scarlet as Black Widow, so I kind of, I have mixed feelings because this is a prequel, and uh, I never, you know, I really wasn't happy with the fact that her character was killed off in Avengers, and 
for me, there's that mixed that mixed feeling there because I really like the character and I really like her performance of uh, Natasha. So I would have liked to have seen something that expanded beyond what we've seen rather than, you know, kind of explain something that is already in the past. The supporting cast was very good. Todd, like you said, I, I enjoyed David Harbour. I thought he was uh, mm-hmm. hilarious. I yeah. did not recognize Rachel White. I'm actually sitting there for most of the movie going, who is this? She She's so <laughs> much like Rachel White. Who the hell is she? <laughs> and it's actually Rachel White. That was fun. And yeah, you're right. A uh, pretty good winter soldier-ish spy movie with uh with one one or two two i guess two cgi set pieces that were well done and pretty big i just didn't i never i never liked the way that was handled in avengers so that kind of that kind of tainted it for me a bit i went back and watched um parts of civil war to try and see where this fit into the chronology and it it sort of fits in in the last quarter of civil war it sort of fits in between that and and, uh oh and also there is a uh uh, heads up everybody there is a cut there is a uh post-credit scene yeah hang around in a marvel movie i can't imagine (laughs) wait for a stinger Mm -hmm. so well you know todd they left in the theater i was in this morning so you know you got it you you can never not say it enough apparently right (laughs) i I think it left some interesting hanging threads that may show up later i haven't seen it yet uh but this is a question i've kind of had with this because it is a prequel is this a movie that someone who hasn't seen the marvel movies thus far is this a movie that you can watch without seeing those or does this spoil other marvel movies if you haven't seen them you you definitely want to have seen uh civil war because it it does uh reference stuff in civil war um but other than that i think you get by without it I actually think it's a pretty self-contained story. I mean, it's it's kind of a nice origin, self-contained thing that you're going to get more from it if you're a connected MCU viewer, obviously. Um, but I feel like there's some really good, fun stuff that's a, that kind of wraps up her her thing. But I, I I also kind of feel you too, Kirsten, is that like I feel like it's like I'm I'm a little sad that that it's taken this long too to get her movie like this, and then this was a COVID movie and now we get it, you know, so it's a bumped later movie. So we kind of have that feeling. And I feel like similar to quiet place too, like there's a lot writing on it. Like this is the experience that bringing you back to the theaters. And there's like all this anticipation of being in a movie theater again. And that expectation of like how awesome that is or what you feel about that, like kind of rides on, on the shoulders of this movie in a way. Yeah, and I would definitely say go see it in a theater. Uh, It's definitely big like that, sort of like what Jeffrey was referring to in the Tomorrow War. If you can see it in a theater, go see it. Although maybe Todd will pick up on it in the news later, but apparently it it did well on both accounts, in theaters and on the Disney Plus. Yeah, Disney is not unhappy, I will say that. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's nobody in that movie who isn't putting their all into it. There's nobody no. who's sleepwalking. It's uh, everyone's doing a great job. Yes. Yeah. Right down to the um, 
uh, to the uh, two beginning characters. Let me non-spoilery <laughs> phrase it that <laughs> way. I would definitely. That's a good point, Andy. It's definitely. Uh, it's definitely got the Gunther, you know, well-made uh, going on for it. So, so it was it's done a, it, well. Yes, you know. I mean, it's it's a Marvel movie. You know, it wasn't bad, but did it feel like a movie that was delayed two years, or did it feel like a movie that was, you know, just released because that's when it was supposed to be released? I I I don't know. I think uh, you don't feel I, it that the the two year delay hurt it. Oh no no no. no. Okay mm, no no. I mean it would, it would have hurt I it if there was. So. It would have hurt it if there was a lot of other stuff going on. If there'd been other movies that might have hurt it, but uh, it's it's it just drops you back in the Marvel universe. Pretty much, okay. yeah, yeah. A, a nice big fat Shang Chi trailer before it. Mm-hmm. You know, getting you ready for that. Uh, for comic book aficionados, Shang Chi, uh, it's, it's kind of looking Iron Fistish. I don't know what's uh, what's going on there, but. Uh, you talk about the the Ten Rings thing. Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting choice. But he, he's not using his his father's using him. The not Fu Manchu character, whoever they're going to make you. Well, there's yeah, there's there's energy flying around and stuff that I don't know. We'll see, we'll see. I mean, definitely going to be seeing it. And I'm like, uh, I'm glad that they went that route too, Andy, as you said. Uh, the the whole the aspect of the comic book, although obviously not using. Fu Manchu, <laughs> like in the comic, but that'll be fun to see when the time comes. Did you see the uh, the trailer for Eternals? What do you What do you think of that? No, I did not. Mm. In fact, I did see the I did see the uh, trailer for Tomorrow War, which is one of the things that made me leave, uh, believe I was going to have to wait to see it in the theaters. That's interesting. That's very interesting. So I saw Black Widow. Um, I watched a few things on TV that I can't remember right now, which is bizarre. I think things have just just get kind of mushy after a while, and I'm not sure what the hell I've talked about or not. We killed One a vampire. I, hmm? We killed a vampire. We did do that in uh, Matt Spaulding's uh, Monster of the Week game that we're playing. We're, we're getting kind of overpowered there, Andy. I don't know. We may need to rotate characters or something because... Nothing can stand up against us, really. That's, that's a good point. Uh, although we did save the uh, we did save the flapjack recipe. Yeah, well, you know, it's that, that's how awesome we are now. It's yeah. just. So I gotta ask, and, Andy, do you show up and it's like, what does my character do? Someone tell me what my character does. <laughs> you know what? Uh, uh, we all Matt, do. <laughs> Matt, you'll actually be very surprised. Andy, uh, Andy is actually kind of on top of it. So. Uh, yeah. Wow. We have such long gaps between the time we play that we're all like, so what the hell happened last time? Yeah, well, that's the big thing. In fact, Matt even was like, uh, I put my notes on on the computer and I don't know what happened to the file, but I can't I, I don't know what happened last time. So we had to sit there and cobble together from memory and uh, Steven's notes what the hell happened. But we eventually got there. So we actually do so much bullshitting when we when we get together. Oh, God, Andy, is it like forty five minutes of gameplay? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> we we don't it. We don't do a five hour jam. It's just it's kind of funny. We don't get any Reddit Reddit bullshit conversations, but we do yammer a bit before we actually yeah. play. Yeah. 
Um, speaking of Reddit conversations, oh, uh, no. I forgot to mention a couple weeks ago, and I'm surprised Matt hasn't brought it up. Maybe maybe he's just trying to forget it. During the one of the visits to uh, to uh, the Marshall household for game night, I was drinking my soda and I was down to my ice water. And I don't know what in the fuck happened, but I swallowed wrong. And I ended up just doing this Danny Thomas fire hose spit take. Oh, no. Across <laughs> the table. Wait, you did this at Mez house? Uh, no, at, at, at Matt's house. You've both christened the yeah. house that I haven't yeah. yet? Yeah, you're God you're totally- damn you. Dude, dude, the um, uh, newsflash: the dog is christened the house. You <laughs> get back to the real world of this guy, walk in with a two-liter and hold it upside down and stare you in the eyes, Matt. <laughs> but yeah, I just like was tipping up my drink, and I just suddenly <clears throat> and pow! Oh my! I, I just it was really, and you know, I ended up uh, I ended up even getting Paulette a little wet. It was just because she was sitting across from me. And it's amazing that I'm still alive. Yeah. Oh, wow. Andy's just so upset. He's gone. <laughs> but, yeah, that was a really... And then I just sat there for like 20 minutes coughing. I just... I had the hardest time getting my breath back. There you go. So I'll say that is what I have done. Boom. The Geek Shock Book Club is reading Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher. Uh, Discussions have already opened on the Geek Shock Book Club page. And uh, you can join us if you are not part of the group already. But uh, quite a few people have already finished that book. That's that's awesome. They're enjoying it so far. So that's what's happening with the book club. And that, I guess, leaves one thing. News you don't give a shit about. Some goddamn Wookiee in that. Other Todd, don't encourage him. <laughs> Just laughing like that. Don't encourage him. He doesn't Everything. need it. News you don't give a shit about. The Security Service of Ukraine reports that it has busted a cryptocurrency mining farm and seized 5,000 pieces of hardware, including a staggering 3,800 PS4s. Those... Those behind the operation were found to be illegally using electricity from the nearby city's power grid. Authorities also report confiscating 500 graphic cards and 50 processors, both of which have been hit with supply issues. This news coincides with recent reports of a PS4 shortage, of all things. While COVID-19-related restrictions are certainly contributing, this report raises the possibility that more crypto mines are going the last-gen console as part of their operations. Those running the warehouse were likely using them due to the fact that they were stealing electricity rather than using their own. In other words, PS4s are pretty inefficient, but since they don't have to worry about paying the bill, who cares? In the press release, the security service claims that should the operation have continued, there was a risk of entire neighborhoods in the city of Vinitsia losing power. Despite being a last-gen console, the PS4 is still retailing at over $400 on retail sites. In fact, I went on Amazon and checked and going third-party for over $500. It appears to be the same story with Xbox Ones. While the stock situation isn't as dire, resellers are still taking advantage of the shortage and charging much more than you'd expect for a console 
of its age. So not only are we dealing wow. with a shortage of the new gen consoles, we are now, because of cryptocurrency, dealing with a shortage of last gen consoles. See, see this is why PC Master Race will always be better <laughs> than, the, than the, the, the console kiddies. You guys paying $500 for last gen stuff. Jeez. Oh, graphic card shortage. <clears throat> the cryptocurrency farm itself was not illegal. <laughs> it was stealing the power that was illegal. Yeah. Well, I, I'm guessing the fact that a lot of these PS4s, I'm guessing, weren't purchased. Uh, <laughs> 3800 is a lot to go out and purchase. So I'm, I'm sure it is on multiple levels illegal. If they're willing to tap in and steal electricity, I'm guessing the rest of it wasn't above board. <laughs> Was this one of those deals where they just wow. hung the extension cord out the window and down the wall and down into the next apartment? Or? Yeah, yeah, it's where you flip that switch when they when you when you you're you're getting free cable. That's the old, uh, the old Frankenstein it's just as easy. Switch? Yeah, super simple stuff. <laughs> That's it, really fascinating. The the whole cryptocurrency and the and now the tie-in with the consoles and everything. Because I've heard plenty of people bitch about like the power thing, right? You know, oh, uh, uh, crypto mining is just such a torrential waste of power and energy. And oh, my, ooh, ah, ah. And like now it's it's actually affecting the console market. That's insane on so many levels. And using so much power, it nearly shut down the nearby city. Right. <laughs> and poor Kirsten's just trying to get a PS4. <laughs> and like all the Ukrainians, right. I, I, yeah, nope. It obviously is not. I'm not even gonna say, hey guys, Christmas is coming because I'm that right now. That's asking a lot of a friend, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> fucking crazy. When I started reading this, I just because of the nature of everything going on, I got three quarters of the way through the story before I realized I was dealing with last gen consoles. I thought they were talking about, oh, they, this is why the new gen comp. No, these are last gen. Yeah. Somebody was just telling me the other day at work that they, um, like a friend that worked at GameStop, said they, they've been selling out of their used PS4s as soon as they get them in as an exchange because with a shortage on the PS5, people are going, well, you know, I need a PS4 then, and they're buying up all the last gen consoles. So they have something to game on while they're waiting for yeah. the stock of the, the next-gen consoles to get back up. So, The one I saw on Amazon was $515. Oh, my God. That's insane. But that's all going to well, be gone soon. You'll be able to play it straight on your TV now. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll see. With Xbox Game Pass, as, as that develops more, they've uh, opened that up to iOS. And, and it basically, if you can use the web now, you can use that if you have an Xbox controller. Oh, so next we'll have a TV shortage because they're taking all the TVs to mine well, their fucking crypto. Well, with the lack of chips going on, I wouldn't be surprised if well, that's yeah. uh, in the works. What a, what a bunch of weird shit all coming together at, at one time. I know. Yeah. I don't think that's so much news you don't give a shit about as news that we don't understand completely. <laughs> <laughs> news that's just a little bit beyond you. Yeah. <laughs> News that's above Andy's head. That's a lot. <laughs> news you don't give a shit about, or news that's above Andy's head. 
Ubisoft has confirmed that the overall future of Assassin's Creed is in live service project codenamed Assassin's Creed Infinity. Uh, we've discussed live service a little bit in the show. Uh, just to clarify, live service is a game uh, that sees a constant stream of new content added post-launch and is purposefully designed to keep you playing Gears after launch, usually with microtransactions involved. This is their way around how they release their AAA games. They're not, they're not done. So instead of patching, patching, <laughs> patching, this is now live service, guys. Live service is how we're going to market it. Todd? Other Todd? Yeah. Union industry? Yeah. I'm going to punch you right now. I know. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is infuriating to me. Like, as a game developer, I despise the model of forever games. I get them. Companies love them because they see, like, this MMO that they get to have. They get to have an MMO with Assassin's Creed. They... It's just like MMOification of every goddamn game so they can just keep the money going and coming in. And I get it. Game development is expensive as hell. And all those kids making games got to keep making games and they don't want to stop making them, you know. But, God, it's just abysmal. It's so it's, – and, it, and it's just – it's just this greedy cash cow thing that, that, that they can't wait to all have a part of. Yeah, I hate it. But it's hard. It's hard for them not to want to do it because game development is so goddamn expensive. That and there are runaway hits like Fortnite. Fortnite is a live service game. Yeah. And that is Destiny. free to play. Destiny, yep. which isn't free to play, but has gotten cheaper over time. Oh. Yep. But it's, it's huge. Yeah. One of the issues I have with a lot of live service games are they are completely uninteresting. They are not compelling story-wise. There's nothing there to, to keep you interested except for the loot grind. And it's all those right. games seem to be about a loot grind, which is fun as long as it's coupled with something that keeps you there beyond the loot grind. The, the, a, a, yeah, a the story that's at least game, somewhat yeah. interesting. In fact, I can't think of a single life service game that has held my interest at all i think they 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 mine the the community right it's like those games don't last unless they have people playing them and hanging out in world of warcraft kind of cosplaying and hanging out like they like they use them as a social hub right and and if they can get if they can get you into the social hub of it then you all your friends are playing it right otherwise you get an anthem I'm impressed that there's a big enough community in the Uno world. I'm still playing Uno, and when I start up a game of Uno, I get three players immediately. Yeah. It's weird. That That is comparing apples and anvils, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) I love that game. (laughs) Uh, This next Assassin's Creed will grow and develop over time, starting out with various different historical settings, while new ones will be added for players to explore in subsequent updates. Infinity is reportedly inspired by Fortnite and GTA V in that it will be a living online platform with new content frequently added, a.k.a. every live service. Uh, so what it's going to come down to is basically what I explain, explained with Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance. You will start with a hub. You will get together with friends or strangers to go off into your own separate uh, 
encapsulated area to do whatever they have for you to do. And then once you're done with the quest, you go back to the hub and then do it again. That's that's whether it is the next adventure or the same one. Either way, there'll be loot grinds involved. And uh, and given that Assassin's Creed, they have attempted to do some multiplayer stuff in the past. Uh, It was pretty crap. Uh, but it has always excelled as a single-player experience, and now to go forward and saying, well, F that, we're just going to go ahead and make it all multiplayer, um, and the single-player experience will be like the single-player experience in the Avengers live service game, which was not great. Ooh. So, yay us! And (laughs) uh, F Ubisoft, because the only reason I didn't care much for the last one, and seriously, the only reason is because I'm just not into Viking lore at all. I'm, I'm Vikings just not something I gel with, and uh, I know bad nerd, but that's my those are my favorite Vikings, absolutely. But the game itself is good. It, it was Assassin's Creed, and and I enjoyed the Odyssey better just because I liked the Greek setting better than I liked the Viking one. So that that's where yeah. my taste with them lie. Where's the location? Oh, London's fun. That was fun. You know, so it's they'll, they'll craft enough of a story around it to keep it interesting. And they did that with this one as well. Uh, I, I can't see enjoying that in a either forced to be multiplayer or going out in single player. What's designed for multiplayer is also rarely fun. Did anybody play Watch Dogs, the, like the new one? Yes, and I did not care for that one. I loved Watch Dogs 2. Watch Dogs 2 was yeah. fantastic. The first one was good. The second one was great. Last one, boy, I fell off that one so fast. Mm-hmm. Just, just because it was this whole nebulous thing with all these characters that you, I didn't feel like I was playing a story anymore. I was just doing chores in an open world. It's almost like you were just along for the ride, huh? And not even along for the ride. There were just... I, I, I liked it better in concept than in practice of anyone that you meet, you can be that character and they will each have different skills and so on. But then you end up with this huge lineup of characters uh, with this overarching story that becomes very generic because it's not happening to anything. Nothing personal is happening. Nothing to engage you emotionally. That's the core of this. There is nothing to engage you emotionally in a live service game. Whereas games that I played like in Far Cry, I love those so much because the villains are so good at being bad that you want to bring them down. They, they are absolutely horrendous people and complex characters mm-hmm. That even though, yes, the game has open world chores in it to go do whatever you like, but there's so much in bringing down that villain and the story beats that lead up to doing that, that I'm compelled compelled to finish every one of those games. Mm-hmm. None of that exists in live service games. Yeah. It's, it's always a generic, go kill this, go destroy that. After you've done that, your mission is over. Do the next one. Grr. Yeah, Todd, I'm I'm with you on the the single player games, um, but I um, bigger single player games though I, I worry about the longevity because of the money. Like I said, like they need to make so much money to keep 
putting them into these amazing single player experiences that studios see the the long game of the service stuff as the only way they're going to be able to make something big and amazing but i actually think that the smaller indie or smaller game experiences are where you're going to get more story-based single-player stuff uh because people are are coming up with more interesting ways in which to do that just they 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 just have too much overhead right and it's amazing to hear because if i remember right of uh, assassin's creed valhalla is the best-selling one they've ever had right that, yeah, that made the most money enough, of everything right? they had uh it but wasn't as enough right right as the jib acquisitions they don't want to make money they want to make all the money the thing that bothers me about this is this is the plan for assassin's creed going forward for the foreseeable future it's not like with fallout where they released fallout 76 a game i'm still heavily disappointed in i've tried it multiple times yeah it's gotten better with adding npcs but it still feels like the open world life service game that it is that i feel like i am not influencing anything <laughs> and and the world just plain exists no matter what i do uh and i get that in the real world i don't need that um <laughs> And and it's fine because I know that with Fallout, they're going to make another Fallout. Fallout 5 will come. So I, I'm fine with 76 existing. I hate that it might have put the next one on the back burner a little bit, but I'm a, I'm a patient guy. When they released it, they were said, don't worry, this isn't Fallout. This is our new version of Fallout. There'll be another one coming later. Cool. That's not what they're saying with Assassin's Creed. They're saying, you know what we've done in the past? We don't do those anymore. Now we do the multiplayer Assassin's Creed going forward. And that is what gets my hankers up. Mm -hmm. It's a series I love and have, have loved through all its iterations. Yeah. I need to play a good one one of these times because the only one I've played of Assassin's Creed is the, uh, the one that takes place in Revolutionary America and apparently that's the worst one. That is the lowest <laughs> point thus far in the Assassin's Creed universe, <laughs> without a doubt. I'll give you a spark of hope, um, Torgo. Please. The audience that plays that kind of game that you like the whole Assassin's Creed audience might not like that live like the the continuation infinity. They might vote with their wallets. I'm hoping so. I, I'm hoping it goes the way of Anthem and frankly the way Avengers is going. Avengers has been a dismal failure. Yeah. As a live well, service game. I think the Anthem thing is a good point to make too, because you know, people love Bioware's story driven experiences and then to be given a live service destiny game from the creators of mass effect and you know and dragon age and all these really deep wonderful character based games to be given that game you know where you're just iron man you know in some kind of strange sci-fi world and like that iron man part was fun but it's not deep and it's not what people want from that studio right so i think you're right i think that it could Matt, you're right. It could it could backfire on them because they they want this beautiful world to to go and and be a part of, and they unless they have a million other friends or kind of join in the community of that live service game, they're not going to really be able to really fall into that that big world anymore. And it will it may backfire just like like Anthem did for Bioware. 
and I always have the seed of the internal optimist in me. Yeah, I'm really hoping that this is the life service that I, I will enjoy, that this is the, the one that will break through and, and be a good, fun game, even for a single-player experience. Uh, but uh, eighth time bitten, twice, Jack. Here's a problem with that, though. Uh, speaking of from an MMO, like that's all I used to play. Other people wreck your gaming experience. They'll find ways to grief you, grief the mob, do this, do that. They will find a way. They always do. Always do. Then so. there's that. That's one of the reasons I don't like multiplayer with uh, strangers. Because eventually you're going to get the dick. Or the balls. It's a teabagging ghost. <laughs> <laughs> is, Matt, are you a reformed MMOer then? Is that, is that what it is? You, yeah, you moved I into. I, my my game was World of Warcraft for a number of years, and I've pretty much stopped that. So, yeah. Wasting my time with that game. And Todd, what? Torgoat said, <laughs> <laughs> grinding this, grinding that, and yeah, that's all it turned out to be. Well, that's enough sadness for one show. Let's do some Weekend Geek! Yay! Woo-hoo! U.S. President Joe Biden signed an executive order calling for the restoration of net neutrality. Net neutrality rules ensure that Internet providers cannot manipulate speeds to serve to favor certain sites at the expense of others or block access to selected portals. The Obama administration's Federal Communications Commission ensured that net neutrality rules were cemented into U.S. law, but was later dismantled by FCC Chairman Ajit Pai, who was appointed during the Trump era. Biden looks to rebuild the Obama administration's work that was undone during Trump's tenure. The order also urges the FCC to prevent ISPs from striking exclusivity deals with landlords of various properties, which could force tenants to avail only a specific service. These deals left tenants with no choice but to go along with the service provider that signed a deal with the landlord of the property. It also aims to put a cap on the harsh early termination fees, which would be levied upon customers if they want to switch from one service provider to another. Now, of course, this is executive action, so it's only as good as the current administration. So until this gets legislated in the, well, legislature, uh, expect this to go away on the next Republican administration. Okay, I only ask this because I I know there are, we must have somebody listening besides me as dumb as me. So, the tubes the internet run through. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) seriously, though, uh, (laughs) this is all running through the same hardwire, right? All all the the cable is all running through the same cable. So, the net neutrality is... So to speak. Yeah. So, in, in this whole thing about the landlords and tenants... Are we talking about apartment complexes? But they have to run different wires. Yeah, and it, any kind of landlord, whether it's even even commercial landlords. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say you have multiple service mm-hmm. providers uh, in town. We have what Cox. We have uh, what, that's about TV, it. <laughs> and, CenturyLink, CenturyLink, and so on. They could make a deal with CenturyLink, saying that you are welcome. You are welcome to rent this space, uh, but under this contract, you have to use Century CenturyLink as your internet provider. But do they have to run new wires for every? Service no question. Okay, that's no. they all piggyback well, off each one, depending if it's fiber or not. Most likely not, but in some cases, yes, Andy. I should qualify that because uh, CenturyLink was famous for using old telephone wires and basically bundling those together from the 
the nodes that would be in your neighborhood to your house. So it would essentially have to be wired to your house. The, the main issue with net neutrality is, is treating you know, the World Wide Web, the Internet, et cetera, as a utility versus a paid subscription service. That part so, I understood. It was just the, the yeah. multiple servers. It was confusing me. The Internet is so oh. complex. I, I could spend hours trying to explain it. But, uh, and, yeah, and please just, don't make him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> and I'd be just as dumb at the end because that's me. But the I basics. one clarification. That's all. But, yeah, yeah. The basics of what he's talking about is, you know, just just like he said, it's, it's to think of it as like a telephone service back in the old days. It, it was like you had Bell or nothing. And then we got, you know, multiple choices for home television service. Same thing with cell phone. Now you can choose multiple different cell phone providers for your service. You're not required to only buy from one. I, when I was growing up in Wichita, we had Southwestern Bell and that was it. We had no choice for anything else until like the mid nineties. And then suddenly we could choose any of these other different uh, home telephone services. So, I mean, it's, you know, thanks. I appreciate that. Could you want to explain uh, NFTs now? <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> And I, 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 NFTs go really beyond. Oh, shit. No, no. <laughs> joke, Jeffrey. It, joke, joke. Andy, bringing funny. Joke. The, the and, last and, article I read trying oh, to shit. explain I'm NFTs broke my brain. <laughs> Seriously. It literally broke my brain. I'm like, what? <laughs> this makes no sense. Uh, we lost a major fellow in the last few weeks. Um, Richard Donner has died. Donner directed some of the biggest movie hits of the 70s and 80s, and in the process played a vital role in bringing horror, science fiction, and fantasy to the box office mainstream. He directed the horror classic The Omen in 1976 before taking the reins of the Superman franchise in 1978, the Superman movie of all Superman movies. Uh, Donner's career also introduced many larger than life franchises to the permanent pop culture lexicon, including he directed episodes of Gilligan's Island. Uh, he did lethal weapon Scrooged, many more uh, Donner's the Goonies released in the same year as another Donner directed hit, uh, the toy starring Richard Pryor. <laughs> He directed Matthew Broadwick, uh, uh, Drunker Hauer, and Michelle Pfeiffer in the mm. film Lady Hawk in 1985 before teaming with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover for the Lethal Weapon franchise in 87. Uh, he did. Uh, he produced Tales from the Crits Presents Ritual. That's HBO's 2002 feature film based on the horror comedy series. He also directed the uh, 2003 science fiction adventure Timeline. As an executive producer, alongside his... Uh, uh, producer Lauren Schuler Donner, that's his wife. Uh, Donner's long list of film credits includes 2000's X-Men and the 2009 prequel X-Men Origins Wolverine, unfortunately. Uh, Donner <laughs> helmed six episodes of the fifth season of Twilight Zone, including William Shatner's memorable appearance in Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Uh, Donner directed several episodes of the 60s TV comedy Gilligan's Island, as I said, and worked on more than two dozen small screen shows, including The Fugitive. Combat, Get Smart, The Man from Uncle, Kojak, and many more. Donner was never nominated for an Academy Award, 
but his work in framed comic book and science fiction stories into big budget films that critics took seriously yielded a long list of recognitions. His final film credit was 2006, 16 Blocks, an action thriller starring Bruce Willis, David Morse, and Most Deaf. I didn't know about the Gilligan's Island thing, so now I'm just sitting picturing the skipper going, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it's so funny, too, because I love the, the terror at 20,000 feet, and I didn't until recently find out that he had directed that. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't know how I never knew that, but coming across that and it just, it blew my mind that he's been in the business that long. The same thing happened to me. Yeah. You really, you really, you really have no, no concept. It's just when you hear his TV credits, it's like, yeah. holy shit, he went that far back. It's just, it blows the mind and an incredibly versatile director too. You know, he's not known for genre yeah he's you know he's just all over the place it's extraordinary what a career what a career a working man's director you know just like just got it done and i I watched uh recently i watched something about the omen there was something about the curse of the omen or something and he's on it i don't know if you've seen that it's some documentary about you know the omen curse uh you know, all these crazy things of, you know, people dying and whatever and cursed movies or I think it might have been just cursed movies. But but Donner talks about the omen curse and and he's just like, I don't know, it's just it's weird, you know, but like he had such a really fun kind of attitude about it all. But he just like had an exuberance uh, even talking about it. And and I was reading something about the omen, too, and just like how there's like it was panned pretty horribly, but back in the day, I guess, uh, Cisco Niebuhr back in the day, they, they like people hated it, but, but like, I loved Omen and I, and I, it seems like it's now seen as a really good movie or posthumously maybe at the time. And I wonder if that's kind of like Superman at least got love, I think during when it happened and it was a big hit, but, uh, but then, and then he kind of like became a big hit maker after that, I think. And the the omen wasn't panned as far as box office numbers goes because yeah, the they box made money. Great. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the critics didn't like it, but the, yeah. the people went to it in droves. Right. Uh, yeah, I Donner was just such an eclectic director. I mean, did just like you were saying, Kirsten. It, it just he's not known for one thing. It, it's he he crossed so many different genres. I mean. You know, you got action, you got adventure, you've got fantasy, you've got comic book, you've got horror, you've got <laughs> adventure. I mean, it just it just amazes me. I mean, you know, the Goonies, the reunited apart that they had last year where they did the interview with him and the cast of the Goonies. And they're talking about how much fun it was making that movie and how like Donner and Spielberg both being on the set were like big kids mm-hmm. and just all of them having a good time enjoying making that crazy movie. Superman. I mean, how do you, how do you and, even categorize that? That launched the modern age of the superhero film. He also understood the character. Unlike anybody else who's what used him since. <laughs> well, true. <laughs> the line I'm thinking of is when he rescues Lois from the helicopter and he goes into the whole, 
Well, I hope this isn't turning you off from uh, flight air, air traffic flight because, you know, it's statistically, statistically it's speaking, way. it is the safest form of travel. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't want a line. Yeah, we don't want Andy to try to say the word statistically. That's the last thing we want. Statistically. <laughs> In Venezia. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I was too old to see The Omen when it came out, or too young to see The Omen when it came out. So I had to see it when I was much older. But Benjamin it's Button a really us. good film. Huh? Oh, it, you, you Benjamin Buttoning us? <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it, it was all over cable. I mean, we yeah. uh, at my house, we watched it a billion times on HBO because it was just on over and over and over again. Uh, Todd, there is one award that he definitely won. Hugo for Best oh, Dramatic yes. Presentation for Superman. Yes, right? he did. So, ah. so he was acknowledged there. Uh, and, oh, and, of I course, first, yeah. yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know, there's also, um, I'm sure... Soon to gain cult status is his work on Danger Island, a segment of the Banana Splits TV show. What? <laughs> yeah, with uh, Jan Michael Vincent. Oh, Chongo! Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So. Did you know there was an H.R. Puffin stuff movie? Oof. My dad's... Uh... Like recent, recently, right? <laughs> no, not recently, but... Because uh, I know they restarted the show. There's a poster for an H.R. Puffin stuff movie on the wall of my dad's ear doctor. He's got a bunch of weird. It's 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 like a kid's room, but I mean it's like this giant H.R. Puffin stuff movie poster. I'm like, where was this? I dig your dad's doctor. Wow. That's pretty darn yeah. cool. Wow, he's actually pretty hmm. cool. Yeah, actually, that room is pretty cool. You need to take that picture, Andy. Also, this week we lost Robson Roca. Artist best known for his time at DC Comics titles like uh, Aquaman and Green Lanterns. He died after a struggle with COVID-19. After breaking through in superhero comics in 2010, Robson began making a name for himself at DC during the New 52 era before signing an exclusive deal with the publisher in 2016. After successes like Green Lanterns, Lobo, and an acclaimed run on Aquaman alongside writer Kelly Sue DeConnick, he seemed primed to reach even greater heights. His most recent work included the series Future State Justice League. So another loss this weekend. Wasn't he only in his 30s, if I remember? Yeah, he was pretty young. Uh, so this is the guy that did the, 50, the uh, 52 version of Lobo? Uh, so it, it, looks that, it looks that way. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> well, I feel a little guilty. <laughs> so uh, we honor them both. Amazon and Skydance are in the early stages of developing a sequel to The Tomorrow War after the movie debuted to massive viewership numbers. Chris Pratt, who executive produced the first movie, is expected to reprise the role of science teacher slash alien annihilator. Hold on. It's going to be titled Next Month's War. (laughs) I didn't, Andy. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. (laughs) Wow. And you did do it, Andy, because I'm good at titles. The title is a yesterday. Like, the other direction. You are good at something? I'm good at here. You're both wrong. It'll be the day after tomorrow war. Oh. <laughs> tomorrow never dies, dear war. Oh. Chris Pratt, who executive produced the first movie, is expected to reprise the role of science teacher slash alien annihilator Dan Forrester while supporting cast members Yvonne Strovsky, Betty Gilpin. Thank you. Uh, Betty Gilpin, Sam Richardson, Edwin Hodge, and, of course, J.K. Simmons are also in talks to return. 
Chris, May, Chris McKay may very well step back into the role of director, working off another original script from Zach Dean. Quote, the first 48 hours of global viewing for the Tomorrow War on Prime Video broke all the records. Pratt wrote on Instagram, continuing, the number one streaming film in the world, and we could not have done that without each and every one of you. Thank you all for joining us on this adventure, unquote. Originally slated for the theatrical release by way of Paramount, Tomorrow War was scooped up by Amazon in spring, again, for $200 million. I have a question about what you guys think about big blockbusters on streaming. Like, what, what does everyone feel about that versus, like, pushing people back into theaters maybe when they're ready? But, I mean, are we ready for just, like, constant streaming blockbusters or... Or do no, we I rather stay in our homes watching those or what? I think that's I think that's a quarantine thing. I think that's going to fade away. I think it'll be something. That, I think they'll come to the the uh, streaming quicker than they have in the past. But I think this weird thing of releasing this stuff on in the theaters and on streaming at the same time will probably go away. I gotta but, admit, I I go back and forth on it myself. There are certain films that I look at. And I'm like I definitely want to see that in the theater and then occasionally depending on the mood i'm in that day i'm like you know what i'm at home i'm comfy i've got a decent tv and a decent sound system why don't i just put it on here and relax that way i don't have to get up put shoes on drive to the theater wait in line for popcorn and soda get there sit down relax and watch the film so it just Honestly, for me, and and I can only speak for myself, it just depends on what mood I'm in that day. Uh, because there have been a couple now on HBO Max that it's like I could go see it in the theater or I could watch it at home. And more than half of them I've stayed at home to watch. But one or two I've gone and seen in the theater, like Kong vs. Godzilla. We all went and saw that in the theater, uh, even though we could have watched it at home. So, yeah, I don't know. Just it. Yeah, we'll mm. see. See how my yeah. mood <laughs> goes but yeah i think there is a small but definite segment of people who would prefer to watch it at home that going out is just not an enjoyable thing and frankly a very expensive thing in comparison Uh, especially when you are dealing with cities like los angeles and san francisco new york where you also have to figure in transportation, whether you're driving for parking or just playing, paying for public, that amount of time and hassle. Uh, and then usually making a thing like getting something to eat, the added cost of the ex- overly expensive popcorn on top of having to deal with people talking in the theater around you. Uh, there, there are things that I think a certain segment of say, are saying like, you know what, I don't think I need to go back to that. No, we're not uh, thinking. But I, do think, but I do think it's a smaller <laughs> We're not thinking about you know, it's a little larger than we're thinking because it's also families. I mean, uh, back to Major Matt who has to bring his thirty-seven kids when he goes to see a blockbuster movie. That's you know, that that <laughs> yeah. that's another kid that can't go to college every time he sees a blockbuster. Movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually, uh, when I went to see Black Widow, I paid half of what it would have cost to have it at home at the Galaxy. Uh, it wasn't one of their discount days. It was actually the most expensive movie ticket I bought uh, ever. And, wow. um, and, you know, for just double that money, if I if I had someone to go with, if, if, if I was going with three people, it would have been it would have been cheaper to see it at home. 
Although that's a movie I, you know, would have wanted to see on the big screen. Right. And, and there's also the certain segment of geek, because if I remember right, because I haven't watched a brand new movie at home as, as far as like paid for it, like with the Disney premiere and so on, um, that when you get the movie, you get it for 24 hours, right? Or is it just one off? Uh, with, with the well, with Disney Plus, with the premiere access, you get the movie for a little while. I, I, I think it's more than just 24 hours. What the hell? Uh, okay. I believe you get it for an extended period of time. I, I don't know how many weeks it is off the top of my head. I would actually have to go look that up. I forget I, what movie I saw. I don't know if it was Wonder Woman 84 or what, but the one I saw, I had it told me I had it for 48 hours. That's that's if you do a, a streaming rental. Yeah, you've got like because uh, like, well, here's another perfect example. Um, I rented uh, News of the World. Uh, because it was one of the movies that was on sale um, pre-Prime Day. So I was able to rent the movie for $3 on Amazon Prime Video. And then it gave me, uh, I believe it was 30 days to watch it. But then once you start watching it, you've got 48 hours to finish it. So it depends on the service. It depends on the type of quote-unquote rental versus long-term uh because i the disney premiere it's considered like a long-term rental so so the point i'm getting at is that all these you're not getting it you watch it and that's the only time you get to see it you are given a amount of time to watch it and watch it multiple times so for those that want to see a new movie multiple times to find all the easter eggs in the marvel movie or whatever it is that's another group that Mm -hmm. wouldn't mind saving some money by watching it three or four times for one price and and also with disney plus if you choose not to uh do a movie through premiere access like uh, black widow and then uh also um uh when they did uh mulan i believe it's a three-month window and then it's on regular disney plus because mulan is now in regular disney plus as well as uh, i think it was called raya the last dragon those were both supposed to be premiere access films but are now available on the regular Disney Plus now that they're outside of that window. So it could be just a matter of waiting and 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 then watching it on your your specific service if you're feeling that route. But I think a lot of the public as far as that enjoy big action sci-fi fiction fantasy Fast and Furious whatever big movies. Yes. I would have rather watched The Tomorrow War on the big screen. Oh, sure. I think I liked the movie less because it was on the smaller screen. That it's, it's, I, I wasn't so engrossed in it as I would have been in the theater. So I, I was able to have some separation from it and see more of its flaws. On the other hand, weren't you uh, happy you didn't have to pay movie theater prices to see Wonder <laughs> Woman 84? <laughs> there, there, is yeah. that there is that too. <laughs> kind of. Last year was tough for the comic book industry. The pandemic not only forced lockdowns, but also led to the shutdown of Diamond Comic Distributors, pausing service on just about every major publisher shipping single-issue comics. Even when service started back up, after some upheaval that included some DC Comics launching its own distribution agreement, publishers were forced to cut back on just about everything. Despite all the complications and the setbacks the industry faced in 2020, from a sales standpoint, 
comics and graphic novels had their best year ever. What? Amid a, amid a mm. global pandemic. Ooh. That's according to the recently released joint report from ICV2 and Comicron, analyzing total comics and graphic novel sales last year across the online bookstore, comic shops, and digital markets. Overall, 2020 brought in a combined $1.28 billion in comic sales, up 6% from 2019's record-setting $1.21 billion. Wow. A lot of it is thanks to the booming graphic novel market. Sales of comics periodicals, single single issues, uh, were down by almost 20% last year, thanks in part to publishers simply shipping few of them. While graphic novels sales increased by 9.1% to 835 million, mm. increasing a share of the market that's been growing year by year as more and more readers turn to collections. Uh, the young reader market continues to grow, and increased anime streaming drives higher manga numbers. It all sounds good for the industry as a whole, but if you're worried about comic book stores and lowering periodical sales as a subset of these trends, Comicron's John Jackson Miller points out that all things considered, comic book shops seem to do okay. Quote, the comic periodical market was ahead for the year before the pandemic struck. And the result of production cutbacks, that was 30% fewer new comic books were released by the major publishers in 2020, Miller said. Continuing, the fact that new comic sales were down by only 20% suggests that retailers did well with what they were able to get, unquote. So comics as a whole, in spite of everything, are thriving. Most, you know, decent-sized, even moderately decent-sized towns have a comic shop. Not every decent-sized store has a regular bookshop. So, I mean, comparatively, comics are doing, as far as something that sells dead paper uh, products, dead tree products, excuse me, they're all, yeah. Uh, if you have live paper products, that's, that's another problem. Yeah, uh, I hate when they, yeah. those things scream every time you <laughs> oh turn a page. Oh, God, the agony, make it stop. <laughs> stop I always up. think it's a news, I don't give a shit about thing coming up. What? Why, why, why do you say that? Be- because <laughs> it's screaming it when you open it up. Oh, wow. I, I see what you did. Wow. I, I, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry for the deep cut. I got you, Kirsten. That was us. Thank you, Jeff. That was Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, mean, I mean, bookstores are hard to find. Comic book stores are not as hard to find. So I guess that's a good thing for the it's, comic store. Yeah, it, oh, Jesus. And that's weird. I mean, yay for comics. Right. Yay yeah. for comic book stores. But, yeah. well, actually, no, it's not too weird. I think that's the Amazon phenomenon. I mean, you can get your graphic novels and your, and your whatnot uh, online. But I think the, well, almost like the community of going to your comic book shop, that experience, you know, of course, I'm you got to walk through that cloud, you know, like well, <laughs> you're up and you're like, oh, you got to get that experience. Yeah. Well, you know, I am speaking from the fact that we have one of the literally one of the best retailers in the nation right here in Las Vegas yeah. with Ralph. And he's but, moving one block away from me. I'm so yeah. excited. I know. I feel the same. I'm literally around the corner from Cosmic Comics and, you know, that Cosmic and uh, Alternate Reality, the two I've always went to. And it's it's so Nice having a comic book store so close to you. And those, well, those two comic shops are two of the best, well, easily two of the best ones in town. And yeah. those two owners are pretty friendly, considering. Yeah, well, they, yeah they, they, they frequently they recommend each other. Right. Yeah, yeah. well, that, and that, that kind of, 
that kind of community right there is uh, something to speak to as well. I mean, uh, I don't know the full deal, but remember back in the day when Maximum was opening up and everyone talked about how Maximum J's plan was just to take over comics retailing in the Valley and just have stores everywhere and he be the comics dealer. And I know that COVID killed the Maximum that's right around the corner from where I live. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how he's doing overall. But. I, I think I think that was Jay's uh, initial uh, hubris plan. Uh, and I think once he got into it and, and actually became friendly with some of the other owners, he pulled back on that and decided being a dick wasn't in his best interest. It was, and there you go. Once again, that that speaks to the community, right? Uh, right and, there. And, and, and I kudos like to him for and kudos to him for recognizing that. Yeah. As opposed to trying to force it, you know, or, or, well, this is the new way or something like that. Uh, but bookstores, eh, you know, I mean, we got Barnes and Noble. Uh, my Barnes and Noble is still here around the corner from my house. I can't believe it. Uh, I know, but it's part my lifeline. Yeah, dude. But part of it is also because they've gotten into the online thing, too, and they're selling online, not necessarily <laughs> taking a chunk out of Amazon, but that's helping them survive and i think that i think that community feeling that that brick and mortar sol- uh solidarity is part of what does it for comics so i just looked it up kirsten uh maximum comics is only down to two locations now uh both on the west side west tropical parkway and and fort apache is the other one where they i think three was their maximum they have, they have i have any thought more they had three? four at one point if i'm not mistaken i, I could be had- wrong I, I know they, they had, had at least three. I think they had three in their warehouse that they sometimes opened up for free comic day. That would account for the one that's around the corner from me that went that finally went down. Yeah. And it was actually there. I mean, COVID killed it. Yeah. COVID, COVID, COVID uh, nailed that coffin shut. But he still got his two. And the west side of town, let him have it. <laughs> we got fucking yeah. Ralph and uh, Cosmic Man. Whatever his name is uh, over here. God, I should know. I don't remember his name offhand. Mm. Well, he's retired. He doesn't really spend yeah. a lot of time in the shop anymore. Oh. I feel really lucky. I got to talk to Ralph when I came into Vegas, and we just I was just asking him how business is doing. And 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 he just was like, he's like, we're doing great. He's like, <laughs> the, comics, <laughs> the comics industry here is thriving. You know, like, we're very supportive, and it just, like, like it's like of all the times I go into Vegas and I'm like, oh, what a shithole. Um, that's the time, like, <laughs> like, except when I hang out with you guys, obviously. But, but other than that, seeing Ralph like just like brought like put like a, a batch of just like light and energy and goodness, like and, just like and what what wow. a turnaround, Todd. Right? Because uh, you know we yeah. all remember the distribution fuck up. For for uh, I don't know what one or two months it was like oh fucking comics they're going down this is it yeah this yeah, is a big mess mm-hmm. it's over and I remember Ralph Ralph wasn't quite like that but he definitely you know he was doing his ah <laughs> uh, yeah well you know it's <laughs> kind of difficult right now they're doing so many different things you know you could tell that he was sort of like what the hell's going to be happening here. And boy, oh boy, what a bounce back. That's great. 
Torgo. Wasn't his name Jim that was the one that ran yes. all, uh, Cosmic? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, that is his name. He was the, well, both he and Ralph, some of the friendliest, most excited about comics guys you'll ever meet. Yeah. And, and Ralph always, like to me, recommended Cosmic yes. if he didn't have something. Yeah. If he yep. didn't have something, he would try Cosmic. To me as for, well. For a few years, I, I talked the paper I was working at that let me write a free comic book day story. And it would often show up in a bunch of the editions. So I got to call every comic shop <laughs> and find out what they had going on. So I talked to all the owners. I talked to, and I had a, we had a really weird uber knowledge of the comic shops in town. Mm. And uh, and then I'd, I'd watch show, I'd watch them disappear and pop up. And you know, we, I think we had seventeen or somewhere between seventeen and twenty-one. I think was our maximum. I remember some numbers in those ranges when you when you talked about it one time, Andy. Cause, yeah, because it was like I I think and that for a while there we had fifteen kind of stabilized or something. Yeah, and, but things keep coming and going and yeah. Well, it's just so. Vegas in general. It's it's a very mercurial town. Things right. things going coming and out. Well, like that. yeah. I mean, I mean, fucking Ralph is Jesus Christ. He's been here forever. It's uh, I remember that store before it was Ralph, uh, but but not not for many years. When does the new store open? I don't have a timeline on that yet. September. I, he, oh. his, He's watching that space. His little handouts on his on his uh, counter. Say September first is when they start, but is it, it? Will they be splitting two stores or what? Is that what they're shooting for? I don't know. Sorry. Right. So you, get, you can't you can't attend both TorgoCon and the grand opening. That's too bad. But you know, no. <laughs> you are going to go to VargCon and make it TorgoCon, right? No. No. <laughs> no I'm not, I, I, <laughs> I'm going to let Vlarg have his own little ego project. <laughs> he, he Andy, he doesn't want to dilute oh, oh. his brand. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. It's not Vlarcon. Yeah. Who's this Vlarcon? It's Mr. Debcon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That's the true takeoff. I'm not going to Vlarcon. I am going to Debcon, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, guys, let's do some red light, green light, huh? Is, is, that, is that your signal for for this break, Andy? Uh... That was that was not an unhappy on. That was a, uh, I was a little happy bone there. I like that little movement made with your hand by your face. A little. Uh, wow! I know we don't do video, but that 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 was some that was some pure uh, masturbation right there. Man, <laughs> that made Todd break his own rule. It did. <laughs> Red light, right. green light. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I call this production meeting of Done Right Productions to order. We have a few more pitches here, and we got to consider them all. I got four pitches this time. Uh, one or more of them may be fakes. So we'll just keep that in mind. But the shows that we have are Roadmarks, Skills, the Department of Truth, and Let the Right One In. So we are going to start with Roadmarks. 
George R. R. Martin is reteaming with HBO to produce a small screen series based on Roadmarks, the 1979 time travel novel from Nebula and Hugo award-winning sci-fi fantasy author Roger Zelazny. The project is in development with former Star Trek Discovery writer and Fear the Walking Dead co-producer uh, Kalinda Vasquez on board as showrunner, writer, and executive producer. Roadmarks put Zelanzi's experimental high-concept spin on the idea of an infinitely connected universe. The novel's central feature is a real highway that, once discovered, can navigate time by allowing travelers to enter and exit various points of history. In the process, especially gifted travelers can even shape or reshape the course of events by creating ever-shifting off-ramps to alternate futures. Created by the mysterious Dragons of Belquinet, the road itself is a real place, but it's not necessarily a place that everyone who inhabits its world will stumble across. So that is Roadmarks. What are your thoughts on that? I got, I got one thought for you. I'm going to help you out, George R. Martin. I know. Do we get the colors now? No. No, no. You, you get one. You get one green light at the end of all this. This is just to discuss what your thoughts are wow. about this particular thing. Perhaps if you're a listener to the goddamn show, you'd know. <laughs> or, or maybe if you were ever a part of the show, you'd know as well. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Shit. Todd Shots is fired. just not holding Damn. back his episode. Ooh, pew, 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 pew. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> what, Matt? What? Uh, insert witty retort here, Matt. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to say give him a big fat red and go work on your your other series that you left unfinished before you start <laughs> that shit. I think that's a fair point. Any other thoughts on Roadmarks? Roger Zelazny, uh, great writer, and uh, hey, come on, time travel, time stuff. You, you can just see the joy on Jeff's face. <laughs> I'm just happy this is based on a real book, so if it's not real, I can read the book. <laughs> I mean, it's real, I can read the book, too, but I mean, you know. <clears throat> <laughs> yes, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds cool, except for the unfortunate name of Roadmarks, which sounds like skid marks. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to do some adjusting. Okay. I was listening to Jack Black talk about his various movies, and that was one of the movies he made. It's called Skid Marks. <laughs> and he tried to talk to the director out of the name. He said, you know, it's a cool name. He's like, that doesn't mean what you think it means. And, but they went with Skid Marks. <clears throat> And that's why we all know it today. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's not a great movie. <laughs> all right, and let's see what the next pitch brings us. This one is skills, uh, but it's emphasizing the word kill in that word. Uh, Sci-Fi and Legion M have teamed up for the newest battle to end all battles for the newest geek-off competition show, Skills. Each week, two contestants will arrive not knowing who or what will be thrown their way. From cosplay to foraging to quiz show style questions to Legos. The contest will roll the 20-sided die that will decide their challenge. All contestants know is going in will be the theme of the week. Local professionals assist in training, guidance, and serve as safety officers. 
Industry professionals, actors, actresses, puppets, and past winners will judge the st- tournament-style competition. Just like Highlander, there can be only one. One winner in this competition. You must use your skills. The pain and the dismay on everyone's that- face will tell you everything. <laughs> Too everyone- much. Sorry, sorry, listeners. I'm going to talk about the video, but everyone on the screen <laughs> is just aghast. I'm like, oh my god, what the fuck? Too much. That's too much going on there. No. You really don't want a new geeky nerd competition out there? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's, that's the answer there. Sci-fi channel. Uh... It was doing so good for a while. It was creating, recreating some classics, you know. It, Doing Shark some Nino? Arthur C. Clarke. No, post that. They were doing like the Arthur yeah. C. Clarke miniseries. And they, they were taking some stuff seriously for a little while. And yeah, they kind of. I so enjoyed Happy. I don't really like the fact that they canceled it after two seasons. Because I thought Christopher Maloney was fantastic in that. Uh, and Patton Oswalt as the voice of Happy. Uh, I just thought, you know, that whole buddy concept uh, worked so well. I mean, I'm hopeful with Resident Alien going forward, but yeah, sci-fi just doesn't seem to be... I mean, I think it feels like they're kind of taking the throw, the approach of throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks at this point. So maybe it this seems... is yet another attempt. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's what uh, this looks like. So we're halfway through, and that's our second vote for finish something else instead? I mean, well, on- honestly, this feels like <laughs> it's just a twist on... Uh, uh, Todd, remind me again the makeup competition. Uh, oh, face off. Face off. So it feels like face off, just with a different sub um, subcategory. Well, that's just it. You don't know what the subcategories are in this because this thing yeah. is mentioning Legos, quiz right. show, cosplay, uh, forging. I don't even know what that means. Forging? That's that's three uh, D printing. <laughs> okay. Oh. Because because to me it sounds like a felony. Unless it's actually forged, <laughs> maybe they're making swords. I don't oh, know. you know yeah. what? I bet you're right. I bet that is it. I think that's uh, you, they're they're doing yeah. blacksmithing. Blacks. I'll take yep. swords for a thousand, Alex. Okay, that makes sense, and that explains why they need safety officers too. So, oh. yeah. And and then the 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 people that are judging there there was puppets in there somewhere too. Yeah, that's what it says. Uh, industry professionals, actors, actresses, puppets, and past Plus winners. Puppets. If they get the, if they get if they get the rabbit from uh, from uh, the Velveteen Band, all right, I'm in. But... <laughs> all right, that's that's your that's your in. All right, let's see what the next one brings us. Uh, James Tynan's the Fourth's comic book, The Department of Truth, is in development. Production company Sister has picked up both the film and television rights to the title. Tinian, who currently writes Batman for DC and is behind Boom Comics bestseller Something is Killing the Children, will co-write the script for what at this stage is intended to be developed as a series. The Department of Truth deals with the idea of how conspiracy theories that take hold can shape the fabric of reality. The story focuses on former FBI agent who joins a mysterious government organization that deals with conspiracies ranging from fake moon landings to the idea that the earth is flat, to politicized beliefs involving paid crisis actors and faked school shootings. The book has earned rave reviews and comparisons to the books released by DC's acclaimed Vertigo imprint of the 1990s. Sister is the creator-focused venture that has been involved with shows like Sky slash HBO's Chernobyl and AMC's Gangs of London. 
So what do you think of the Department of Truth? It sounds very X-Files-ish. Uh, to a point, I think. Uh, although it seems like a lot of the conspiracies they're dealing with are real ones. At least at what's yeah. mentioned here. Is it a fictional yeah. show or is it like... Yeah, it's a, no, it's a fiction show. Okay. It's, it's based on the comic book. That's, oh, okay. Uh, okay, interesting. Yeah. So I, I, when I say real conspiracy theories, I mean yep. one that true that exists in people's minds, not, you know, <laughs> actual conspiracies that happened. I'm finding um, the title long for some reason. Am I missing something? It seems like, I don't know. It just, it just seems like, title-wise, it seems long. It seems like it'd be hard to depart- pitch that. The Department of Truth? Of truth, yeah. Like, I mean, they had... Uh, like the RIPD, and they had uh, mm. they had Men in Black. I mean, it seems like for those complicated bureaus, they tend to break it down to a shorter title. I don't know. It's just a weird thought in my head. I like the uh, pedigree and uh, taking the piss out of conspiracy theories uh, would be something that uh, I could actually really get into. It sounds intriguing. Especially because you said the line, Todd, how conspiracy theories shape reality. Yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to see what that exact angle is. Mm. So yeah, I'm intrigued. It reminds me of the Adjustment Bureau. That mm. whatever that movie yeah. with uh, a bit. yeah, mm. Mm. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> Uh, Last we have Showtime has issued a pilot order for an adaptation of Let the Right One In. Andrew Heinzraker, who did Penny Dreadful and Away, will append the script and act as showrunner. Uh, Seath Mann, who is part of The Walking Dead and Elementary, will direct the pilot. And Demian Bashir, who did The Nun, Alien Covenant, and Godzilla vs. Kong, is on board to star. It's the story follows a father and his 12-year-old daughter whose lives were upended 10 years ago when the daughter was turned into a vampire. In order to keep his daughter alive, the father provides her with the blood she needs to survive while she essentially lives the life of a shut-in, only able to go out at night. This isn't the first or even the second time the 2004 novel uh, has been adapted for the screen. Let the Right One In was made into a Swedish movie in 2008, also had a 2010 U.S. remake called Let Me In. Uh, The series is both a love letter to the original film and a story entirely all our own, Heindraker says. A&E had a remake of Lenquist's original story in development in 2015 with Teen Wolf creator Jeff Davis at the helm. That show never moved forward, and, well, the material has now found its way to Showtime. Mm. So let the right one in. What do you think? Well, my question was going to be how do you make that into a series, and you answered it. That's actually kind of interesting because if I remember the the story was – it seemed like pretty complete and ended with that. Go ahead. The movie, the movie, the Swedish movie ended with them on the train going out. So right. there's a whole story to be told there. I, um, I agree with the Kirsten. I think there's a the pre story is what this one is talking about, but they can tell the story of the novel and obviously go a bit way beyond that. Yeah. Hmm. I'm disappointed. I mean, I think I see their reasoning, but I'm disappointed. It's like a father daughter thing as opposed to the original concept mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, the yeah, more it's concentrating on daring the... yeah yeah you know i don't love people taking something that's really good and then making series from it normally but i also like penny dreadful a lot and and i like if the people behind penny dreadful 
are behind it. That's kind of a nice pedigree for me because I, I really loved at least the first mm-hmm. season of that show. All right, gentlemen, there you have it. Let the right one in the Department of Truth, Skills, and Roadmarks. Where do you want to lay a green light? Uh, we'll start with you, Todd. What what would you like? Ah, again, uh, besides the unfortunate title of Roadmarks, I actually think that this is an intriguing concept of a multiverse highway uh, via Mr. George R. R. Martin, if he could ever finish anything. But... Yeah. But it does sound intriguing. So I'll green light that. All right. Matt, where do you put your green? I gotta go with the Department of Truth. I do like the X Files kind of aspect, minority report, adjustment bureau, all mixed into one. I kinda like that. QAnon, you know. <laughs> I, I think that's a fair thing to put in this. Yeah. Uh, and I like Andy, that. where do you where do you put your green? I'm going back and forth between roadmarks and let the right one in. Um, I guess I'll go with let the right one in. I, I like the I like the pitch. There's something I like about that pitch a lot. I don't know. It's different. It's a vampire story. We've had plenty of vampire stories, but this is kind of a different take. All right, Jeff, where's your green? That's tough. None of them, honestly, really like just grabbed me and said, "Ooh, I like that," but. I'd say of the four, probably Roadmarks is the one that I found most intriguing. Although I'm with Todd on this one, I think the the title is unfortunate. Um, and most likely by the time it would make it to series, they would probably change it to something else anyway. You know, some kind of a strange, odd title that is non-reflective of the source material. But uh, like, yeah, I'm going to go with Roadmarks. Like Passing Lane. Or yeah, some double <laughs> yellow line, or or off ramp, you know, something something weird. Hershey Highway. Huh. Wow. Hershey Highway. Did that, did that turn Andy <laughs> around? <laughs> And it was about to go, no, that's, just, way. That's, just, that's just one state away. <laughs> and then he goes, wait a minute. <laughs> Pennsylvania is more than one state away. <laughs> I was exaggerating, Andy. I'm, I'm a journalist. I have to be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so is that up to the shock monkeys then? Uh, no, because we know. haven't heard from Kirsten yet. Where's hmm. your green? Oh, shit. Um, this is actually, actually, I say this is tough. Um, skills, red. Thank you. Uh, Roadmarks. <laughs> Roadmarks. Uh, Martin is a proven showrunner, and he actually knew Zelazny. Zelazny, uh, they, they frequently collaborated, like on short stories, wild cards, and he was in his gaming group there in... Uh, in New Mexico. So he knows Zelazny and and those that's the kind of hands you want that in. Um and the as everyone has said, the concept is actually very is very intriguing. Let the right one in. I don't know. I, I a few minutes ago I said I was disappointed they're doing the father, but if you look at it from the angle of the, the father is providing has to provide their vampire kid blood. 
that could be an incredibly edgy show, or, you know, depending on how they go about it. That's that's actually that's actually got bite. <laughs> yeah. I see what you Hello. just want. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much. And and Department of Truth, I actually like that a lot. I was I was I was with Roadmarks until Department of Truth <laughs> came in, and I'm kind of leaning to Department of Truth. So I'm gonna I'm gonna green Truth. That's right. And that means we have a tie. So we're greeting both Roadmarks and Department of Truth. So that being said, which of these do you think are fake? Wait, are, are we? We have who's voting? Four people, right? Five, what? five people. We, oh yeah, there's, there's, there's six of us guest. on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little, that, my Boy. little picture. My little picture. I forgot to count me. I my little picture. <laughs> I see you five people there, and there's a little picture of me up in the corner. <laughs> what do you mean, you people? <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. All right. So, which of these you think is fake? Uh, we'll take it the same direction. Todd, what you think's fake? Oh, I hate to to think it, but maybe the uh, the George R. R. Martin one is fake um, due to the the troubles he's had, uh, at least in the finishing of shows and, and that he's trying to, he's so loved and beloved. He's working on multiple things. He's, he's, he written, he wrote the story, I guess, for that new Elden ring game that's coming out and he's just kind of everywhere. So I actually think that that's kind of a dream as opposed to a, a truth. All right, Matt, what do you think is fake? I'm going to say the same one. I, right. I agree with what he said about that. So that's two road, road marks being fake. Andy, what do you think's fake? Well, the only I know for sure is real is skills. That bullshit's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's one of the two good ones. So it's going to be, it's, I'll, I'll go with road marks too. All right. Wow. Jeff, what do you think's fake? I feel like it's let the right one in because I swear. Well, actually, you even mentioned it in the pitch there that it had been in development in the past and was canceled. But I also suspect that this might be one of the shock monkeys knowing of my affinity for time travel stuff and submitting it to get me to vote for it. Because I've, I've, I've started to notice a pattern with us with some of the submissions that people send in for their pitches bitches. They target, tailor them a little bit. They, they tailor them a little bit to some of the likes and dislikes that all of us have, have, have uh, admitted to in past episodes. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go with, with uh, Roadmarks. I think Roadmarks wow. is the fake one. Even though I don't want it to be, I want it to be the real one. All right, and Kirsten, what do you think's fake? Well, then I'll be contrary because I think maybe Roadmarks is real for the exact reason Todd thinks it's fake. <laughs> because Martin has a history of overcommitting himself. He just mm. he he just gets too much on his plate. So as opposed to Todd. For me, it's totally believable that he's <laughs> he's picked up yet something else that it's like Jesus, dude, grab a hold of one thing and focus. Overcommit and underdeliver. 
Yeah. So uh, Department of Truth. Um, now, here we go. Let's grab a hold of the Jeff theory because Department of Truth could be tailored, say, for my vitriolic disdain for conspiracy <laughs> people. And that definitely mm. appeals to me. So I'm going to go with Department of Truth is the fake one because mm. I would really like it to be real. Well, gentlemen, the pitches, bitches, this week is from Pat Spurl, and his pitch was skills. No! Oh, wow. Jeez, that's great news. Well, that's great news. All wrong. <laughs> wow. Great news. Pat Spurl, oh, genius. Oof. I got to admit. Something so unbelievably bad, we <laughs> thought it was going to happen. <laughs> No, he came up with something truly sci-fi channel is what he did. And that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Boy, oh boy. Imagine looking at his face while he's listening to this, uh, this segment. <laughs> <laughs> the grin he must have had when I said that bullshit's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, hit it right on the head, Andy. I mean, that just totally sounds like yeah. something this could fucking happen. And oh, that shit. means road marks and Department of Truth, as well as let the right one in, are all in various stages of development. So we all win. Yeah. <laughs> the winner, it's you. I guess it was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Pat, for sending in your pitches, bitches. And if you want to send us a pitch, write to us, comments at uglycouchshow.com. Put pitches, bitches in the subject line, and then give us the pitch in the body. And if you don't want me to adjust it, play the hard game, uh, let me know in that text, and I will not change your pitch whatsoever. Otherwise, I'll adjust it to kind of fit the rest of them. I spaced out. Whose body are you going to adjust? Uh, definitely <laughs> no one on my screen. The Bureau. And, of course, if you have a comment or question, you can send us to it. Uh, send us as well. Comments at UglyCowShow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. It is Jeff. Commander K. Fact check, Andy. Maple Leaf Matt. Another Todd. And before we let you go to talk to you next week in Geek, uh, Todd, do you have any stories about Star Trek The Experience that you want to share? Some, uh, some, some fun memory, some, uh, some crazy uh, thing you saw, <laughs> something you wish you hadn't seen? Uh, well, yeah. Um, there were quite a few of those. Um, I, I was recently just thinking of my good friend uh, Tom, uh, rest in peace, uh, Mr. Motog. And thinking about how much fun uh, it was to be with the elder Klingon. Uh, Bleeg and Motog were on the night shift a lot. So we were kind of, uh, we were the, uh, the late night television of Star Trek The Experience. So as such, we got kind of the dregs and the weirds. Uh, so like a late night on a Tuesday, for instance, you know, <laughs> we would just... You wouldn't get the fun of the Saturday, you know, but you'd, it's a Tuesday. And so one, one night, uh, Mr. Uh, Sir, Sir Motog and Bleeg were – Bleeg is the district manager of the Quarks franchise on Earth. He was um, my boss. <laughs> yep. And uh, had to constantly make sure that, that, that Jeff, or as he called him, Jeef, was not, uh, was, was not giving away food – uh, in any kind of way or, or not charging for napkins and silverware like you should be, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, one night we had uh, 
Motog and Bleeg were in Quark's bar, and there was a um, there were two lovely ladies that were you know enjoying their drinks, having a good time, uh, talking, just having fun with talking a lot to to Motog, and Motog was like, "These women are superior," and then and uh, the Ferengi Bleeg doesn't think women you know like the women should be subservient. And, you know, he's he wanted to show proof of like, well, I, I don't believe women are superior. You know, Motog, if you think they're so great, tell me, show me, show me, show me these women are so, so superior. And uh, so so the women then uh, proceeded to show their superiority, saying they didn't need men in which to have a good time. And they kissed um, <laughs> right there in front of us. And, <laughs> and, and, and I didn't blink at all. It's just like whatever females you know and i'm like but 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 i but i was trying to like hold all in in my 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 fun and in seeing uh motog made a a growl uh a noise that i'd never heard from from him that just kind of was a low rumble that started from his feet and went all the way i think i remember that one yep 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 i think we're there how how did you Hold back in the little Wallace and Gromit cheese kind of feeling when the girl kiss. Right. I just, I, I don't know. I, there's something about being in the mask that I could just kind of like retreat and just let the mask act. And I just kind of was like, and just kind of like, just kept it as, as stoic as, and, and just watching and listening to Tom was what almost, you know, caused me to then bust into to laughter uh but yeah it was it was it was one of those wonderful experiences <laughs> you guys were always pretty good about maintaining the illusion even when presented with outrageous well, situations yep. interesting. that should yep. have that should have broken lesser men and women yep. <laughs> the, the commitment also, to the the world yeah. right yeah also little known fact uh the name Jeef was actually given to me by bleeg uh, I believe my first week that I was there, yeah, because he had difficulty reading my name tag, and is Jeep. Okay, Jeep, I need you to go do this for me real quick. And I was like, "What?" they're like two or three days. Didn't you have some sort of weird thing happen when you went on your last day? Didn't you have some sort of weird going away thing? Or yeah, so the so the 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 wonderful treat that i was uh, given on my last day of working at star trek was working during the convention um in which um i got to give myself an exit for my character because that was the last day of my work and i planned it meticulously perfectly i was like okay the last day of the convention the last day i get to be in this gear this is going to be it i'm going to go out with a bang and i uh, and we worked out with the other characters a murder mystery in which Bleeg was going to be killed. Uh, and the um, the the person in charge of the of the mystery and and taking the investigation was none other than uh, Lieutenant uh, Commander Voha, uh, Paul Mattingly, uh, in which he was the. <laughs> Part of part of uh, a series we like to call the Voha Mysteries, <laughs> uh, which in which you would occasionally deal with people like Tom Bosley and Angela Lansbury and you know other special <laughs> guest stars, you know. Uh, but I uh, loved the Voha Mysteries. <laughs> look, 
clearly is something wrong here, you know, and he would <laughs> and he would go off and 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 Bling is a a scoundrel. There must be something. And then so then he was he was asking all these people, where have you seen Bleak? You know, and he was going around. And what had happened was that uh, Bleak was faking his own death in order to um, get away from the giant debt that he had acquired uh, over his time there being Quark's uh, crappy district manager. And all of the different uh, like I think I think there was a moon that uh, he was under uh, underwater on. Uh, that he uh, he owed a lot of money on that he had bought, so uh, so he had to kill himself off. And what what we did was uh, I went out there, Bleeg, uh, you know, there was like Bleeg has been found dead, you know, Voha claimed, and and like who is responsible? And so he's going around questioning people, and then uh, Bleeg comes back out in a um, in a disguise, yeah. <laughs> which is a, a mustache. Of course, which Frankie <laughs> don't have facial hair, you know, and <laughs> and then all these different people are like, "Oh, there, there he is! There he is!" Pointing me out, like, "Get him! Get him!" You know, and uh, and I ran off uh, as as Volhai chased after, you know, and then that was it. So <laughs> it was so goddamn funny, especially yeah. for for those of us in the restaurant that had no idea what was going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just watching Bleak walk out in a mustache. That was I've <laughs> I've said this before, but but I thought it's I I really appreciate the fact that you guys had a ten year storyline going on that only you knew about. <laughs> it's just amazing to me. Yeah, I have yeah. in a box somewhere too of. Uh, a disc of vacuum, vacuum desiccated remains of Bleeg. Yes. Has this yeah. this crazy crazy death mask looking face on the one side and and Fringy script on the other. Our our fans uh, were lovingly. We had the the two Klingon uh, guys who would the Klingon brothers uh, as we called them that would make things for the different characters and. They made a, a a piece, a little little piece of bleeg in his desiccated remains. They had a picture of me. I don't know what they had. They they had Ferengi lettering around it, and they had some dust of some sort. I don't know, sand or whatever, and this little disc. And uh, and that was that was my uh, that was my death right there in a little disc. So, but the but the Klingon brothers had made that wow. uh, because because they were just such such great fans of the place. Todd, didn't uh, one of the other incredibly memorable things about that time was uh, didn't Voha sing It's Been a Long Road to you? <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yes. Now, yep. now, you guys got to – you guys – this is the convention time, right? Yeah. And the place is packed to the gills. I mean, it's like yeah. standing room only. Yeah. And – and and fucking Paul grabs that mic, and he's like, <laughs> it was, "It's been a long road." Wait, wait, and he okay. got the whole fucking restaurant. Yes. By yes. the time they were finished, the whole restaurant was singing that motherfucking song. <laughs> it was it was astounding. It now, was, was absolutely was, astounding. Was that you or was that Quan? Todd, because I, I, I think I think it may have been Quan on that one. Because yeah. as I recall, I think it was Quan because Quan uh, Quan started singing Quan the song, loved that song. 
Um, and Voha comes up to him, <laughs> towering over him, grabs the microphone, <laughs> stares him down, and then continues singing it. <laughs> yep. Yes. Okay. That's, I, that's, I, that's I, I, I had to step off the floor because I was laughing so hard. I couldn't yep. do my job. Right. I couldn't pour drinks. Uh, now, Master Torgo, um, in his uh, limited uh, time in the character world, yes. graced us uh, with, uh, with, with one of the first murder mysteries uh, on the yes, death indeed. of his characters. He, Todd was the first person to die as a Star Trek character, officially killing his character off. You were the, you were the first one who did that. Wow, I, I didn't realize that. What an honor! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you can you give us a little bit of on on a little bit on the on the the story of the of the untimely death of your 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 Vulcan? Uh, sure. Uh, uh, I I've had two characters going at the same time because of how they arranged things. Uh, so I was working on the ride, uh, and also working as a Vulcan down with the characters as one of the earliest Vulcans for the place. Uh, but they also had a Starfleet walking around, just regular humans going out into the hotel trying to drum up business for the experience. Uh, I stopped being a Vulcan because I just couldn't take the itch of that wig anymore. It was it was just something I just could not handle uh, over time. It was just the wicked itch that I couldn't find a way to make it go away. And then I was leaving as well, and so... I had a secondary character, a human character called Commander Hicks, uh, which was a Starfleet mess up. <laughs> and and so we, I, I wasn't the one that fully created it. I sat down with Biggs on it. Uh, it was me and uh, Amy who worked there at the time as another Vulcan. And I was like, well, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out in style. So we're going to do this whole murder mystery that Hicks... Uh, was going to look like that he was the one that launched Commander Steerbeck out of an airlock, but it was actually uh, Biggs's Klingon that did it. And and yeah, we we did a whole thing with with doing a Vulcan mind meld on the character from another Vulcan <laughs> in the middle of the place. We were we were running. I mean, full bore. Uh, we got yelled at for doing that because yeah, we were kind of a danger to the customers. In in how yes, in how yes intense that we took our. We we were living a Star Trek episode, so we yeah. we played it with all the intensity. Uh, we and so we almost killed somebody. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, we used as and we tried to draw clues, and we tried to do it in a series of like one big day. So there was like two hours that we could lay the whole thing out, and we just kind of dropped clues so that at least people that were there at the experience who were there during that time could at least somewhat follow along that storyline, knowing that, you know, after this, there was not, this character's not going to be there. So let's just do it in one spot and let's not draw it over days. And that, cause that way the, the people don't come necessarily over days. They come in for a few hours and they go. So we, we wanted to make it as entertaining to the customers uh, without killing them, which we pulled off luckily. <laughs> But I think what was what was cool about that too, Todd, was that you you were definitely pushing the edge when you say that you know you got in trouble for running around and stuff and like, and I think that that was we were I was we were watching kind of like how far we could take the performance aspect where people are basically in a place where they just want to like 
drink and take pictures of people in costumes a lot of times. And you're trying to do this like interactive theater that has all this like pathos and stakes and, you know, all the stuff behind it. And yet for a pop audience that, you know, just wants to take a picture of the guy in the cool suit. Right. Right. So it was a tricky thing to, to do. And, and I think that I remember that the intensity of that day and it was, <laughs> and I loved it, but I was like, I also remember the kind of like the, what the hell's going on? Got to look that people had to like, what is this? Is this the ride? What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we. Uh, I, I was definitely on the way out, and so <laughs> I, I figured if uh, You're like, I could pull anything this. off, this is how we can do it. Yeah. So anybody that was joining me on that adventure was really taking their jobs at at, at risk. Kirsten, but, you wanna, but it was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Kirsten, do you have a do you have a thing that you want to like? Because the, uh, the 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 cold as ice, <laughs> uh, with the warmest of hearts, uh, Andorian. That uh... it, you know, it was uh, you were the you were the one who trained me for the floor. I was taking your your slot because you mentioned working with Tom, and uh, I've spent several of those nights working with Tom, and uh, it um, you ended up leaving at a pretty good time because <laughs> boy oh boy as as attendance started running down. Yeah, there were there were nights where it was just god awful. But my fun was always um, uh, with April. Uh April and I had been friends and actually uh, co-workers, uh, actors before Star Trek. And so uh, we had a natural affinity, a natural chemistry. And uh, the when she was her Vulcan to Prill. I could unintentionally make her just fucking totally have to walk off the floor because <laughs> you and one of my favorites one time there wasn't anybody to even see it it was so empty we're just in the queue zone the line for the ride empty we're looking out over the restaurant and retail area empty and you know she made a comment about there's not much going on and I was like ah well you know at least gives me time to Fix you know the latest thing that Commander uh, Taren has screwed up. Taren was April's other character, it was an Andorian, and was uh, my you know uh, superior. And so April goes, "Oh, is it really that difficult to work with her?" And I, uh, Todd, you would have been so proud because I did a masterpiece <laughs> of improv. I went off for about five minutes about how miserable it was working under Taren. And I just, I would not stop. And when I finally did, April just looked at me and went, like her mouth kind of quivered. She went, well, I'm sorry it's so bad for you. And she just turned and ran. And ran for the nearest exit and got the fuck off the floor because I killed her. Oh, I can't remember what they did it for. It was it was a couple years ago, though. Maybe it was for one of the conventions or something. But uh, I came down in 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 Kirsten's house. I, I, you know, I, I walked downstairs or something. And... Uh, and uh, the April and Kirsten were were back in character. 
doing oh, yeah. some some video Fil- filming bit. something it, for Vernon. Yeah, yeah, um, and it and it was oh, cool. just just so delightful to hear those two talk to each other. Oh, yeah. man, when when did you do that? I would love to see uh, that. That that was uh, one of Vernon's um, submissions actually to the convention because uh, Andy had that right, um, and it was. Uh, it was April. Uh, April. It was Tarin being stranded on Earth, and um, she was living in Vernon's refrigerator. Uh, the whole, the part of the plot was actually Castran um, ended up stranding. You know, because he was in charge of her pickup. She had to. There was something where she had to come down to Earth, and I think the 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 real MacGuffin of the story was somebody got presented something and uh, Tarin was sent in to get it. But when it was time for her to be picked up and taken off earth and go back to the future, Kastran like, Oh, look at the time I've got to go and left her high and dry on earth. (laughs) And so we had that little exchange where she and I were just going after each other. (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it was actually pretty funny. Uh, Burnham, he put a, he put together a good video for that. I, you know, I don't know where he's got it. If he's got it archived anywhere, it would be somewhere in Star Trek. I'm Experience. sure he has it. I'm sure he has it archived. Somewhere. I mean, I mean he's it. got it, but if it's posted yeah. somewhere, it would be on that. But yeah, yeah, that was one That's of the. Cool. That was one of the things. So thank you, monkeys, for joining us on this memory lane moment of Star Trek: <laughs> The Experience, and we'll talk to you next week in Geek. <laughs> Todd, thank yeah. you so much for joining us on this Yay! mega episode. Yeah, yeah. Thank me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Indeed. Yeah, make sure to set up that exclusive, dude. Oh. That's you know. Oh yeah, boy. you're getting all you're getting the beta keys. All yeah, y'all. there you go. <laughs> That'll boost our Q rating. Talk about the, <laughs> when when you actually left town. Uh, it was about the, the last time I was a DM. Oh man! Oh holy moly! For, oh yeah, that's I forgot all about that. Yeah. That was the last that time was. you were a DM. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Andy. Wow. Uh, Andy ran a game, and uh, Call of Cthulhu, and Todd was there, and didn't Scott participate? Andy. Might have been. It? Yeah. It was a, the problem was it was a one night thing because they were they were moving away like two like maybe the next day yeah. even or something crazy. Yeah. But um, oh yeah, I I actually had to make the thing end, and I I got him through the whole thing, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I had a a system where I would every five or ten minutes I would give everybody a note, <laughs> and most of the notes were dummies that just said bullshit like you know you hear you hear a creak in the wall or something like that. But one of the characters was getting notes where she was slowly going insane. That's good. That's a good uh, concept. Yeah. Yeah. Love <laughs> I I, I kind of took that concept uh, and, and ran with it, Andy, because when I go through my show notes. I also slowly go insane. (laughs) (laughs) Not so slow, Todd. Not so slow. (laughs) You exaggerate that? Fine, I'll ask again. Well, well, there's no way to cut. There's no way to cut that in and make it work. So I thought you were a goddamn magician. Jesus, Uh, there's only so much work I'm willing to do. You have a punchline. You're burning. You're 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 uh, burning the. Give. No, not at all. But it's been a week, and I really, really want to have some fun. All I want to do is have some fun. I'm just, I'm, I'm just amazed that Jeff didn't jump on the the 
the lyric response to your song call out there. Right. That's that blows my mind. I know. It hurts me. <laughs> well, he was doing the song lyrics, so why should I? Uh... Oh, it's because it's, it's what you do. But he took my thing. Uh, as everybody knows, I'm a you know a bit of a fan of time travel and <laughs> time related films, which this is uh, one of. Uh, stars Chris Pratt. Uh, my understanding from what little that I've been able to uncover on the movie, it was originally supposed to be a theatrical release. Why are you making that face, Todd? <laughs> I kept on holding it a laugh. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you because I want you to talk about the Tomorrow War, but... I had a heart attack, okay? Drinking water, okay? Just... <laughs> <laughs> Just... Well, I, 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 I glance those... away to look at my notes, and all I look up and see is Todd making a face, and I'm like, you okay. Missed you missed it perfectly. Matt just out. started dying as soon as you started talking about the okay. movie. Was it like one of those anyway. drink drink gas bubbles that feel like it's in your heart? Just one of those? It's like a little piece of ice, I think, or something. But Okay, yeah. <laughs> Like do you like how far back do you want me to start? Just start like from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> from the beginning. Yeah. Because <laughs> none of us heard a damn bit of it. <laughs> just just muted. What? What? No, don't worry about it. You're fine. They muted. They muted me. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> I was making notes over here, and I looked up, and I don't have a thing. I can hear you still, so I'm fine. You know what? I just got the notice of the mutes right there. That's adorable. Wow. I didn't know it tells them. It does. It tells on you. It that's tells bull, on you. That, that's some it, bullshit it, right there, man. It, it, <laughs> I got to find my place. Yeah. You, you broke Torgo. You broke Torgo, yeah. The two of you broke Torgo. That's awesome. Uh, well I just call that Monday. <laughs> oh, that, that's a great title. Fucking um, Monday. Yeah. Starring Chris Pratt. <laughs> Fucking Monday is the R-rated Garfield cartoon. <laughs> Ah, Ralph Bakshi's Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I would watch that now. <laughs> <laughs>